sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program. If you're a retailer, you may be missing ad dollars from manufacturers. Don't miss out. This station can tell you about 1,500 manufacturers in most businesses who provide radio co-op. Many pay 100% of the ad cost. Radio will heat up your sales fast, and this station will help you get co-op money to make your ad budget bigger. Radio. It's red hot. Get more facts. Call this station or the Radio Advertising Bureau. They brought you this message. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. The payoff is murder. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, danger's my stock and trade. If it's touch and go with trouble and you want out, you got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, maybe you've heard of my husband, Johnny Wyatt. Just a notch higher than a club fighter. Big strong boy who hasn't gotten anywhere. Well, Friday night he meets Pat Driscoll at the Christopher Arena and the payoff is all set. But not if Johnny plays it my way. Then the payoff might be murder. Still, I want to take... Maybe my reasons for this are a little cockeyed. But if you're interested, let's talk it over. And it's signed, Doris Wyatt. Christopher Arena, Brooksy. Sounds like old home week. Remember? Remember? I had to sit there and watch you get worked over just to satisfy the ego of a vicious little gangster named Salvador. Ah, the late Johnny Salvador. So now there's a Douglas Harger running all of his rackets. It's enough to make a growing boy turn cynical. One thing's certain from Mrs. Wyatt's letter... The air around Christopher Arena still has an odor from here to there and back again. Yeah. With Harger in the picture, the fight could very well be a fix. But why should an ever-loving wife want to change the payoff so it might read murder? Well, George, she admitted her reasons might sound a little cockeyed. But just how cockeyed? Mr. Valentine, I'll tell you why I'm not going to let Johnny throw that fight Friday night. Yeah, Mrs. Wyatt? Because I've never had him in coat. Huh? What's that? Exactly what I said, Miss Brooks. Well, pardon my dunce, Camp, but if your husband's been played along with Harger, that would be about as short a cut to a mink coat as you'd want. You still don't seem to get it. The first time I ever saw Johnny was, was in a chorus line. I think I wanted a mink coat more than I wanted to breathe. And I could have had it even with a wedding band. I picked Johnny. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Yeah. You loved it. It, It's more than that. For ten whole years, I've had to stand by while he was getting his face pushed in. But at least he was always doing a clean, honest job. The only job he knew. But... uh, how do you think we can help you if Johnny's made up his mind? You can help me change it. Now, wait a minute. Look, Hager and his crowd have already placed their bets. They're not going to let Johnny or anybody else cross him. I know. Uh, anyway, this is a little out of my line, Mrs. Wyatt. 
I, I wouldn't know how to go about this. And I wouldn't know what to tell you. Oh, maybe I've got a one-track mind. A gasoline station along the road, a, an auto court. And who knows, maybe we could still have a couple of kids. Funny where you can wind up dreaming of a mink coat. Sorry I bothered you, Mr. Valentine. Forget it. Well, now, wait a minute. Let me think about this. Hey, Doris! Doris! Oh, you got company here. Where have you been, Johnny? Training. You know, honey, Friday night, the big payoff. Look at you. How much do you think you'll have to drink after Friday to forget what you did? You know, I'm only doing this for you, Doris. Hey, who are these people? We shouldn't be talking like this in front of them. You don't have to worry about them. Go on. Get out. Both of you, get out. I want to talk to my wife. Might be a good idea if you did a little, little listening, Johnny. Who are you to tell me what to do? I get enough of that. Get him out of here. This Doris, be... is Mr. Valentine. I thought he could figure a way you could still fight an honest fight and not get hurt. You mean you, you told her? She was only thinking of you. Get out. Get out. Stop it, you. Johnny. Stop it. This is one, one time your fists aren't going to help you. After the fight, I'm... I'm leaving you. For good. Good. Leaving you. But, baby, be ten years. Things we had planned. This was going to be my last fight. Darling, I see you don't know what you're saying. Yeah, you, you can't Take do it. it easy now. Here, fellas, sit down. Put yourself together. Now, look. Yeah. If, if you're willing to try, I'll see if I can get you off the spot. Oh, Jay, please listen to them. What about it, Johnny? Go, go ahead, sister. Okay. You think you got it in you to beat this Driscoll guy, guy Friday? I think I can take him. Got at least one, one good fight left. Go, go ahead. Besides, Driscoll thinks it's all fixed. He's been doing his training in the nightclubs. Oh, but there's nothing you can do about it now. Valentine, you, you don't double cross Hogger and get away with it. Well, you didn't fix this thing, Johnny. It was Steve Haliano. You know, manager, you did all the talking for you. You got a contract with Helianos? Sure, sure, but I had no trouble getting on out of that. He's been jipping me for years. Well, what's the word, Johnny? Just, just what you know it would be if I thought I was going to lose you. Well, it looks like you've got another date at the Christopher Arena, George. Yeah. Okay, we don't have much time. Get him under a cold shower, Doris. Fill him full of black coffee. Yeah. What do you train, Johnny? Murray's gym, 8th Street. Hager took that place over from Salvador, too. Well, don't go near the place. Use the gym at the YMCA until you hear from me. What are you going to do? See a man who has more reason than any of us to hate Hager and everything he stands for. A man who hated Johnny Salvador enough to kill him. George, the bash. But that guy's punch drunk. They got him locked away in a sanitarium. Uh-huh. But I think he can still make the kind of sense that'll give us a fighting chance. Now, Brooksy. Yes, George. I'll pick you up at the office. Right now, it's time for a couple of characters to get a shock treatment. Hey, listen, my friend. Where do you get off telling me how to run my business? Aren't you forgetting? I am his manager. As far as Johnny Wyatt is concerned, you're out of business, Helianus. As of now. I'm warning you. Don't make things unhealthy for yourself. Come now, Helianus. You're the one who's flirting with high blood pressure. 
Don't get so excited. But, but you heard what he said, Mr. Harger. And I... everyone else will if you don't stop raising your voice. Besides, you know how sensitive I am to raucous voices. Now, if you'll just leave us alone, I'd like to talk to Mr. Valentine. Sure, okay. But don't forget, I got a contract with Wyatt. Yeah, sure. That piece of paper and a dime will buy you a cup of coffee. And if you have any complaints, take them up with the boxing commission. You think I won, eh? Well, I... Your tantrums are childish, Helianus. Huh? I'm afraid we both have to admit that round number one goes to this gentleman on points. Thanks. Gentlemen better stay out of my way. They don't want to wake up floating in a shore. Isn't that Pat Driscoll punching the bag over there? Yes. You see him in one of his more conscientious moods. He's actually condescended to work out today. Uh Huh? Well, no wonder Wyatt is the top heavy favorite. You stand to really clean up if he does it to Brody. When he does it. <laughs> Which uh, brings us to the crux of the matter, doesn't it, Mr. Valentine? Yeah. But the Johnny Wyatt is going to fight up the best he knows how. No matter which way you're planning or what you intend to do. I can't allow the Wyatt to win. There's almost a quarter of a million dollars involved. Okay, what do you propose to do about it? I'm like Helianus. I don't indulge in the lurid threats. I simply want to state a fact. If this buff does come off as planned, neither you, you nor Wyatt will have much time to enjoy the virtues momentary triumph. Well, now that was the purpose of this little visit. Now we be put no where we stand. Oh, uh, Mr. Hager, I understand that I've given you some, some kind of trouble. Trouble? Of course not, Mr. Driscoll. We were merely discussing business. Yeah. I was trying to find out how to bet for Friday night. Mr. Hager here says you, you can't lose. All right, I'm a sure thing, so what? But I keep saying you can't win, Driscoll. Huh? Unless you got somebody in there to take, take a dive for you. What's that? You know what I think I'm going to do? Hold it, Driscoll. I'm going to nail you one, sweetheart. See how you look smashed down on the floor. Hey, look at the guy done his I don't believe it. Who's splashed on the floor? I'm impressed, Mr. Valentine. If I weren't betting on that reclining gentleman, I'd be tempted to applaud. Hey, buddy, buddy, I, I just see what you thought. on the right cross you got there. Anybody managing you? Out of my way, Buster. I got places to go and things yeah, to do. I got that right cross. Now listen to Mr. Valentine carefully, Basher. Uh, I'm I'm listening. I I get I get what you say. Good, good, because this is very important. Don't you see? This is your chance to win a big fight, not even have to go into the ring. Well, how can I do that? Them keeping me here in the sanitarium. Now look, Basher. You know Hager took over where Salvador left off, and he's doing the same thing to other fighters as that Salvador did to you. I, he can't he can't do that. Look where I am because of him, and I used to be champ. Champ. We know that, Bash. Now, please, get the story straight. Johnny Wyatt wants to make this his last fight, and he wants to do a clean, honest job on Driscoll. I wish they'd let me in there. I'd show that young punk a couple of things. Yeah, Bash, yeah, I know. But you see, Wyatt's betting on himself. Every dollar he's got. His wife's depending on him, too. All the money they've saved to buy a gas station, live a decent life, is on him to win. Now, look, I'm no fight manager, and I want you to help me find the right trainer and things like that. Yeah. But most important, how does a guy like Hyder operate? I want to call every move he makes before he even thinks of it. Oh, okay. I'll put you straight. Already, Hyder's way ahead of you. What do you mean? 
What's the odds for Friday night? Why, it's seven to two for Johnny Wyatt to win. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean, Mr. Mister Valentine. Before the fight, the odds are going to be even bigger for Wyatt. Hoggle will see that they are. How can he do that, Fisher? Oh, a couple of stunts like he done with you in the gym today when, when you, you stopped disco. He didn't have to hit the floor, but he did it so everybody would think he was... He wasn't in shape. Yeah. But part of the frame. Uh-huh. And that gets in the papers and everybody bets on it. That's a short thing. But, George, that means... Yeah, I'm beginning to see what it means, Brooks. The odds should be on Driscoll. He's young. He's smart. If he just knew where to look, you see that they got Driscoll and in hard for this fight. This puts me on the spot there, I Yeah, oh. It's an old, old deal. Salvador started doing it with me when I was getting washed up. I was 32. That was, um, three years ago. Well, this is beginning to look like a work of art, George. Hargis got himself double insurance. If Johnny Wyatt doesn't throw the fight, Driscoll can probably beat him anyway. Driscoll, smart kid. Oh, boy, what a gold-plated goon guy I turned out to be. I let the Wyatts risk everything, their whole future on this fight. You'll never come beat big boys like Hargo when they got the fix on. I know, I know. Still, Johnny Wyatt's got to win Friday night, and I've got to make him. But how, Basher? How? Return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about the well-tailored car. Whether your everyday motoring is in the Puget Sound area, along the Columbia River, or in the desert, there's one way you can be sure of command performance from your car. That's by relying on high-octane Chevron Supreme gasoline. For this great premium quality fuel is climate-tailored to each different altitude and temperature zone in the West. That means wherever you motor, Chevron Supreme's blending agents command fast starts, command smooth acceleration, command the extra power that makes your car great on hills. Just try a tank full of Chevron Supreme tomorrow and enjoy the command performance it gives your car on the straightaway, in heavy traffic, and up the steepest hills. Remember, Chevron Supreme for command performance every mile of the way. Ask for it at standard stations, and at independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. You find yourself managing, of all things, a heavyweight fighter, Johnny Wyatt, at the end of the road facing a younger, stronger man. If your boy wins, Harger or one of his mobsters will see that you pay with your life for the fortune they lose in bets. Yet Johnny and his wife are also betting, betting everything they own that he gets the nod. So you're up a blind alley. If you're like George Valentine, you just put your head down and try to slug your way out. You know, Harger, somebody must have pampered you when you were a boy. To think you can just walk into somebody's house and your very appearance is going to scare him to death? Please, Mr. Valentine. I've been waiting for this moment. 
Let me do the talking. And for once, Hacker, I think you're going to do the listening. I doubt if you're going to feel like the same man when Mrs. Wyatt gets through describing you. You keep talking about my Johnny as your boy. You think he's through and he'll do anything you tell him when he gets in the ring. But Johnny is my boy, too. This is his last fight and he's going to fight it the way I want him to. We know what he's up against. But no soft-spoken piece of rubbish like you is going to change our minds. Any questions, Mr. Harger? No, just a mere statement minus the dramatics. I thought it might carry greater weight stated in front of Mrs. Wyatt, who's supposed to love her husband. No soft-spoken piece of rubbish is going to change our minds. I admire models of virtue, Mrs. Wyatt, but only as curios you keep under glass. Why don't you speak your piece and get back to your gilded gutter? The simple fact remains. When I make a bet, there's always a payoff. Either in money or in that wasteful and business-like operation known as violence. But it's only been a couple of hours, Doris. Try to remember what you said. I am, I am. Your exact words when Harger came in. Now, you did all the talking. He just stood there. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying so hard. Don't rush her, George. Maybe it'll come easier if you don't make her try so hard. Well, we've got to get this right, Booksy. First, first I remember saying, please, Mr. Valentine, I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, that's right. Then you said, let me do the talking. And you said, and for once, Harger, I think... I think you're uh, going to do the listening. Now we got it, Brooksy. Take all this down. Okay, George, but I still want to know why. Angel, this has to be the convincer. I've got to make Harger think I've got something on him. And before he realizes there's one important thing missing from the recording we're going to make. Well, what's that? Just his voice, Doris. George, you'll never get away with it. You just take the words down, Brooksy. Johnny and I have a date at the sanitarium with a basher. I was champ once, Wyatt. Remember me, huh? Remember me? Yeah, yeah, we all do, Basher. It's just too bad you had a guy like Salvador, him. Sharp talking weight, Basher. But will you please look at those pictures? I had to do a lot of talking to get the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm watching every move he makes. Well, this guy isn't going to get us anywhere. Will you keep quiet, Johnny? Yeah, I'm watching. I got it. I got it. You can turn, turn this thing off now, Mr. Valentine. I got the answer. Turn the projector off now, Mac, and put on the lights. Okay, what is it, Fasher? Being, being the champ like I was, I got, I got Gisco's weakness. Just like that. Johnny boy... You can murder that guy in the first round. Me and how many bulldozers? Go on, Brasher. Well, when the bell rings, Johnny boy, you rush to the middle of the ring with your books up. Like, like Disco was the worst enemy you ever had. You're not far from wrong. You've seen him in them pictures. All you gotta do is, all of a sudden, let your hands drop down by your side. Yeah, you forgot to mention who carries me out. Will you listen to him, Johnny? When, when Disco comes in for the kill, he's... Wide open. You, you've seen it. That's when you give it to him, Johnny boy. But not, not what you're right. <laughs> not, not what you're right. Just how do you do it, Basher? You throw your left at him. That's the way he's least expecting. Well, the only punch I got is my right cross. Everybody knows the only thing I can do with my left is chase off flies. Like I said, least expecting. And the guy's got a grass jaw. You've seen it in the pictures. He won't know 
What happened to him? Valentine, let's get out of here. If I do what this punch, he tells me I'll get killed. We'll talk about that later, Johnny. Thanks for your advice, Basher. And when you listen to this fight over the radio, you can say to yourself, it's just as though the Basher were in there fighting. Do like I said, Johnny, and you'll have him smelling the rosin before he knows what hit him. Yeah, and I could also be reading the alphabet backwards from then on. Do like your wife tells you. By that gas station, don't end up like me, the champ. Valentine, let's get out of here. Sometimes I wake up in bed fighting my own shadow. And then I faint, and I come right across and then left. So long, champ. And thanks again. This is about it, Johnny. The last prelim is on out there. How do you feel? Oh, just crazy. How does he look to you, Freddy? The basher said you were the best trainer in the business. I done the best I could with him, Mr. Valentine, in the short time we had. You gotta remember, Johnny ain't as young as he used to be. Yeah, especially around the stomach, huh, Freddy? Horace, what are you doing here? You know I never want you to see me before a fight. Oh, this time it's different, Johnny. I got you into this. The least I can do is kiss you. Good luck. Oh, no, please, me. I just want to give this to Mr. Valentine. Right. Here's that briefcase you wanted, George. Oh, thanks, Angel. I'm sure I'm going to need it. I'm betting on you, John. Okay, okay, Freddy, that's enough. Can't help me anymore. Anything you say, Johnny. You ever see a wife like that? Just not good enough for her. I don't want her to see me on my face out there tonight. If you end up that way, you'll never know whether I threw the fight or not. Will you take it easy, Johnny? Hey, just let go, Baloney. I'll better get your boy in the back row. All right. This is going to be my last fight. I'm going to go in there and slug it out with Driscoll. Well, why are you guys looking at me that way? Come on. Boys know the rules. Keep your punches up. Fight clean. Break clean. Right. Right. Back to your corners. Okay, now, Johnny, I've only got a second, so listen. Fight this thing the way I want you to do it. It's your only chance. I'm not taking that punch drunk's word. Well, then take mine. Do it, and I'll even be happy to face Hargett. Hey, my face, Johnny. Go to it, Johnny. What's the matter, boy, Scott? Come on in. Give it away. Don't worry, Grandpa. You're going to get it. Oh, come on, boy. Get going. Oh, come on, in. Come on. My hand's hanging down. Make it quick and fast. Okay, sucker. going, friend. Mm. Don't think you are leaving this arena. What's the matter, Helianus? When you got a gun in a man's back, no reason for your hand to shake like that. <laughs> Just excited. I cannot wait to see what is going to happen to you. Start walking. Okay. Johnny had more left in him than you thought, didn't he? 
What are you carrying in that briefcase, Valentine? Your last will and testament? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> in here. This is Hager's office. Come in, Mr. Valentine. Sit down. Thanks a lot. If you remember, during our last conversation, there was a slight mention of a payoff, one way or another. I have a very retentive memory, Mr. Hager. And you were very eloquent. So why make with the fancy words, Mr. Harger? I know a couple of boys who can take care of him, but fast. Why need we hurry, Helianus? Do you know how much you cost me tonight, Mr. Valentine? I hope it was enough to send you to the poorhouse. <laughs> Not quite. But it was a serious blow. Oh, yeah. I think you can afford it, all right. A lavish office like this. Oil paintings. Custom-built phonograph. So many, many luxuries guys like Basher don't have in a sanitarium. But what to do with you, Mr. Valentine? Uh, of course, you must go, and eventually Mr. Wyatt, too. But how? Well, if there's one thing I dislike, it's, uh, let's say, uh, crudity. Oh, brother, leave it to you. Never at a loss for the right word. You mind if I put on a record I brought along? I love good music. Oh, well, then you ought to go nuts about this when you hear it played back. Hey, what is he doing? He's got a gun in there. Please, Helianus. You don't seem to understand how gentlemen like Mr. Valentine and I do business. Just what have you got there? Suppose you listen, Hargie. I'll put the needle down at random. But I think you'll get the general idea. I hope it's Sibelius. You keep talking about my Johnny as your boy. You think he's through and he'll do anything you tell him when he gets in the ring. It's all there, Mr. Hargie. But Johnny is my boy, too. This is his last fight, and he's going to fight it the way I want him to. If anything happens to me or Johnny, you know this will make sweet music in the no PA beers. You want to hear any more, Hager? Of course you remember. This gets better as it goes along. You know, you don't have to have a scientific trend of mind to know that RPM motor oil means low-cost car operation and longer engine life. But Mr. George L. Reed of Miami, Arizona, happens to be scientific-minded, and this is what he says, quote, As a mining man for 15 years, I have a pretty good idea of what proper lubrication means. For long life in your car motor, you must have absolute lubrication, and RPM really does the job. I'm sticking with RPM, unquote. I think you'll agree that Mr. Reed is a wise and practical man. And if you've been using RPM motor oil in your car regularly, you know why Mr. Reed prefers this premium quality motor oil. You know that RPM keeps your engine cleaner, fights off carbon, rust, lacquer, and other costly troublemakers. And you know that where ordinary oils fail on hot upper cylinder walls, RPM protects those hot spots at all times. So to give your car a longer life, get an oil drain and refill with RPM motor oil. Get RPM at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Well, come on, Hager, speak up. Do you want to hear any more? I'm not one to fool myself, Mr. Valentine. You may have something on that record. Oh, I can just as well play the rest of it, including your ill-advised threat. You know, violence. Shall I go ahead? No, 
You needn't bother. Do you mean you are going to let them get away with this, Mr. Hargrave? I will take care of him tonight and this letter too. Liana, sometimes I despair of you. You're so petulant. Huh? Do you think Valentine would walk in here with the only copy of that record? I got a million of them, Helianus. And they all tell the same story. Well, it was nice knowing you two. Uh, Mr. Harker, just leave him to me. Stay I... where you are. The gentleman and I have made a bargain. Good night, Mr. Valentine. Yeah. Good night, Mr. Harker. Well, how do you like it, Mr. Valentine? We finally got our gas station. There's even an auto court in the back. You look swell. Well, we just thought we'd drop by, Doris, and see how you and Johnny were making out. By the way, where is Johnny? In the back somewhere. You ought to see him, Claire. Happy as a kid, can't find enough to do. None of these things would have been possible except for you, Mr. Valentine. Well, thanks for the badge of honor, Doris, but all I'm doing is trying to make a living. That's what Johnny and I are doing now. We're closer than we ever were. Why, why do you know? In the spring, we may even open up a hamburger stand. Oh, love and hamburgers. A reasonable substitute for a mink coat. <laughs> Something like that. All I know is everybody should be as happy as Johnny and I are now. For instance, you two could... Uh... <laughs> I mean... Oh, never mind, Doris. <laughs> Subtleties like that are wasted on our friend here. Oh, I know what Doris is driving at, all right. Oh, do you, darling? Yeah, but Angel, can we make it pay? Opening a hamburger stand. Tonight's adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Brooksy. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Michael Ann Barrett as Doris, Tony Barrett as Johnny, Jay Novello as Basher, Louis Van Ruten as Harger, John Allman as Helianos, and Lester Jay as Driscoll. The music is composed and presented by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Easton. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. For a wash of deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning.
The women are discovering that deep cleaning Oscar washes out the gray dirt left enclosed by the leading wash day suds, the leading shortcut suds. This fact was proved to women in an amazing demonstration. And one of the women present at this demonstration was Mrs. Don Phillips of Great Neck Long Island. Here's what Mrs. Phillips saw. Well, in this washing demonstration, they used my clean clothes. At least I thought they were clean, because I had just washed them with the leading suds the way you told me. Well, then they washed those clothes over again, this time with deep cleaning oxidol. You should have seen the dirty wash water come out of those clothes I thought were clean. That dirty wash water showed me oxidol really can get out the gray dirt left in clothes by those leading short cuts Thanks, Mrs. Phillips. And ladies, here's something we'd like you to do. Next wash day, use deep cleaning oxidol and see for yourself how much dirt oxidol can get out of your clothes. And then, most important of all, look at the clothes themselves. When you use deep cleaning oxidol, your clothes look white and bright. Your clothes feel soft and fluffy. Clothes smell sweet, too. Yes, your clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep cleaning oxidol. Yet, deep cleaning oxidol is truly safe. Deep clean clothes stay brighter, new looking longer. So don't wash clothes with suds that leave dirt in. Get clothes deep clean. Sparkling clean with deep cleaning oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Ask your dealer for Oxidol today. And now, for Ma Perkins. Well, Ma knows that the cousins did take Willie's and Evie's money for that investment scheme and that they lied to her about it. But then Cousin Sylvester and Cousin Ed did some quick and skillful further lying, which Ma may or may not believe. And now the cousins have a new scheme for not returning Willie's and Evie's money. So they told Ma they would return. Well, it's Ma and Willie we join now, about 5 o'clock in the late afternoon, as they get to Ma's house after the big showdown with the cousins. Have the cousins fooled Ma again? No. Well, here we are home, Willie. Would you like to come in? What time is it? No, I guess I'd better not, Ma. I'd better get home to Evie. Well, I can't thank you enough for what you've done, Ma. I mean, what you told the cousins. Oh, that's all right, Willie. You still got no suspects for a job, Willie, saying nothing at all? The one job I was counting on, boy, I had it right in the palm of my hand, and at the last minute, bang, it fell through. There's a job in Fort William, timekeeper with a construction gang. I'm going to see about it tomorrow. You could come back to work for me, Willie, or suffer. I realize that you have long trips there if you want to work for Shuffle, but Shuffle told me that he's got a job waiting if you ever want it. I know that, Ma. Shuffle's been a real pal, and so have you. But Evie would never stand for it. And the combination of a new job plus Evie raising the roof when I get home. <laughs> no, thank you. I'd rather take less money and have a little peace and quiet. You know how Evie is, Ma. <laughs> I think I know how Evie is. Uh, is Dr. Stasio with the cousins, Willie, does Evie know how you plan to give back to stuff so to get your money out? No, you don't know it yet. That's my job tonight, telling her. Boy, I certainly don't look forward to that. She's been counting on them profits. But like I always say, to make profits, you got to have profits. Capital goes to capital. It's them who has who gets. I wish I could help you speak with every I would, Willie, son, but everything's so mad at me. Yeah, I know that, Ma. That's okay. Like I say, I thank you for fixing it with the cousins so I will get my money back. 
Maybe I'll even get a small profit. Didn't Cousin Sylvester say that maybe the stock's gone up since I bought it and maybe I can get a small profit? No, I, I don't remember Cousin Sylvester saying nothing about a profit, really. Mm. Uh, you just be thankful, son, then, and if you get back, what you paid. Yeah. You know, it's too bad I can't hold on long enough to make a big profit, but that's been my trouble all my life. No castle. Well, thanks again, Ma. Oh, there's Faye. Hi, Faye. Oh, uh, just one more thing, little son. Yeah. If you should need anything until you find a job, will you please come to me? Sure, I will, Ma. Thank you very much. But that money from Sylvester ought to see me through. Hi, Faye. You look cute. Hi, Ma. Hello, dear. I was just coming in. Well, call me up, Willie, about the job, I mean. Okay, Ma. Sure. It's tomorrow, so I'll call you. How have you been, Faye? Oh, fine. Thank you, Willie. Yeah, goodbye. Come on, Willie. Did you talk to Sylvester and Edmond? What did you say? What did they say? How'd they come out? Sylvester says that he'll get in touch with the man that really bought the stock first. Oh? He bought it from Sylvester, didn't he? I mean, wasn't it Sylvester who sold the stock to him? And how did Sylvester explain those lies he told? What he told me and what he told you, denying it. He took Willie's and Eddie's money. How'd he get out of that? No, no, dear, no. Sylvester says that... But he was only following instructions from this man, Miles, his friend out west. You see, Sylvester and Ed got his friend out west, they say. The man with the mining company, Mr. Miles. He's the one who told Sylvester to keep it secret. Sylvester says that he will write to this man, Miles, and, and try to get Billy's money back. It was Mr. Miles who sold the stock to Billy. Sylvester says. Then, but then Sylvester was not swindling William Eddie. Sylvester says not one cent of the money went to him himself. And then the lies. There were lies to deceive us. They were intended to, oh, maybe to protect Will. He will touch Sylvester says. Yes. And everything that you and I were thinking yesterday and this morning, it's not true. Because he's only trying to help Willie. Well, how do you turn away? What's the matter, Ma? In words of one syllable, Ma, are the cousins crooks and swindlers or are they not? I don't know, sir. How do you know? Sylvester's asked me to marry him. Sylvester and Ed are working right there in your lumber yard. They've got all this money of Willie's and Eddie's. Oh, no. No, you say they, they don't have the money. They didn't have this man miles. But just the same. Oh, Ma, we have to find out. Don't we have to find out, Ma? Yes, sir. We have to find out. Let's, let's wait and see if, if we'll never get their money back. Oh? Oh. You mean, you're still not satisfied one way or the other, Ma? My own cousin. Oh, my own cousin. And now, our scene changes. We pass over the next few minutes and rejoin Willie. We know that the cousins have decided to work on heavy to try to keep that money. Well, Willie is just entering his... Evie, where are you, dear? In the kitchen? No, I don't have to be in the kitchen. Do I have to be in the kitchen? Huh? 
Well, what's the matter, Evie? You got a toothache or something? You sound grumpy. Yeah, I got a toothache, but it ain't in my tooth. It's someplace else. Now, once and for all, and for the last time, Mr. Willie Phipps, I'm not going to stand for it. You hear me? I just won't stand for it. What's the matter? What did I do? Stand for what? I walk in the house, and before I can even ask what time supper is, I get my head taken off. What happened? What are you so sore about? I walk in the house, and I'll what time supper. For him, I'm just something blonde in the kitchen. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a can opener. I'm a, I'm a pot on the stove. Am I a human being? No. Am I a person? No. Abby, now you stop that. Everything I say, you twist around until I... Well, I don't know what, but anyhow, I can't stand it. You want to go out for supper? Okay, let's go out for supper. You want supper to be late tonight? Okay, let supper be late tonight. But let's forget about supper. I ain't even hungry now. What's biting you? What's the matter? I don't even know. What's the matter? They like me, strike me dead this minute if I got the faintest conception. You was not at the Perkins' Wendy just one hour ago? Huh? The Perkins' Yes? Oh. Now, Abby, that's silly. I had business at the Perkins Lumberyard with Cousin Sylvester. I did not go to the Perkins Lumberyard to get my old job back. And listen, Abby, I wish you'd see your way clear to making up with Ma. Ma's been very nice to you and me, and yes, I wish Ma's to... been very nice to you and me. Well, I happen to know how nice Ma's been to you and me. I happen to know everything. What you was doing at the Perkins Lumberyard. And just a second, that I know too. What? I don't even know what you mean. You won't say you know what I mean. Ma could tell me it. I know because Teddy Sylvester told me five minutes ago. Cousin Sylvester told me everything. That's so strange. I thought he ain't got a friend in the world. Now he's got to go back to this rich friend of his and say, Billy Fitt, got to sell back his stuff. And why? Because Ma Perkins winds me around like a little finger. Ma Perkins does not wind me around like a little finger. Nobody winds me around. If Cousin Sylvester's friend thinks the stock is so good, he should be glad to give us our money back. For heaven's sake, Eddie, I'm out of work. We need money. You want us to put a mortgage on the house again? You want us to sell the car? One or the other, Eddie. We mortgage the house or we sell the car. Or we sell back that stock. But we got to have money. We got $8 in cash in case you're interested. Really? Is that stock going to make profit? Huh? I don't know if the stock is going to make profit. So Dr. says it's going to make profit, He's but it's so happy. All right, all right, all right. And is the house making profit? Right at a time when we need profit tomorrow? Eddie. You mean you want us to keep the stock and mortgage the house? Oh, Leslie, Ma would never let us. I'm tired of Ma would never let us. Ma's been running my whole life since I was born. Listen to me. Listen to me. You must write over to Sylvester and you apologize, Mr. Willie We will not sell the stock. You understand what I'm saying? We will not sell the stock. Sylvester feels just terrible. Today, women everywhere are talking about raving about deep cleaning Oxidol because deep cleaning Oxidol reaches deep down into the fibers of clothes, quotes grimy dirt away, gives you a wash that's sparkling clean. You can see what this means when you wash clothes with Oxidol. They're sparkling white and bright. You can feel clothes are soft and fluffy. You can smell clothes are fresh and sweet. Yes, clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean because they are clean with deep cleaning Oxidol. So for a wash that's deep clean, Sparkling clean, get deep cleaning Oxidol at your dealer's now in the same familiar Oxidol package.
So once more, Evie takes Sylvester's life as God. And what's going to happen? To Ma herself, Ma's still in the business. Well, the cousin had another wicked idea, and Evie falls tomorrow. But now this is Charlie Warren inviting you to listen again tomorrow, same time, same station, to Oscar Dahl's own Ma Perkins with Virginia Penn. Ma Perkins is directed by Edwin Wood. For a wash of deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. we present the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show. Brought to you by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. By Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too. By Chesterfield, sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And by Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our master of ceremonies. Hiya, folks. This is Dean Martin. Well, another Friday has come over the horizon. And if you don't have a headache now, you will when my ear-splitting partner gets here. <laughs> anyway, while we're waiting for Nature Boy to arrive, let's kick around a brand new tune that I've just recorded. Richard? <laughs> Love is a thrilling sensation, as thrilling as can be. Though it happens in every nation, they greet it differently. Every mademoiselle whispers ooh la la la, every Englishman talks to his pater, every smitten Venetian goes tra la la la, and the Irish say Mother McCree. But when I look at you and I thrill like I do, there is only one thing I can say. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy, what a joy, a joy, a joy, a joy, a joy. To know that you love me, by heaven above me, I never expected to pick you up the vine. The others will try and try and try and try and try to give you the eye, the eye, the eye, the eye, the eye. But when they approach you, I'll keep them in line, in line, in line. by telling them, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, you're mine. Certain characters hide it a little when Cupid comes along. Some mechanics shift gears in the middle and drummers kick the gong. Every cowboy I know hollers yippee-yay. Every clown in the circus goes oopla. Every sailor in port hollers anchors away and an Indian it gives you the ah. Uh. But when you hold me tight like you're doing tonight, there is only one thing I can say. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy what a joy, oh a joy, a joy, a joy, a joy. To know that you love me, by heaven above me, 
I never expected to pick you up the vine. The others will try and try and try and try and try to give you the eye, the eye, the eye, the eye, the eye. But when they approach you, I'll keep them in line, in line, in line. by telling them, oh boy, 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 you're mine. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, ladies and gentlemen, because my pleasure to introduce... Hey, Dean, one... is this my cue to come out and be adorable? Jerry, how many times must I tell her you're supposed to come out when I'm through saying Jerry Lewis? Listen, Rodney. <laughs> when you're through saying Jerry Lewis, I'm through coming out. Ah, uh, it's no use, Joe. Every show, it's the same thing. You act like an imbecile. Yeah, well, I... Imbecile? Imbecile? <laughs> For a minute, I thought he was wrong. <laughs> Now, Jerry, you keep it up. Go ahead, Jerry. Just keep it up, and one of these days you're going to find a pink slip in your pay envelope. Listen here, Dean Martin. Don't think you can tempt me with pretty unmentionable. <laughs> you know, I never cease to be amazed at the irrational elements contained in what I would call your insipid and exceptionally peculiar sense of humor. That's right. And... <laughs> Dean Martin, you sly fox, you gave the writers Christmas presents. <laughs> seem pretty preoccupied with Christmas. It was almost a month ago, and it's still on your mind. Why? I like it. I like oh. it. You haven't told me a word about your Christmas. Was it Mary? Yeah, it was Mary. Well, uh, you care to tell me about it? I'd rather sing about it. Be my guest. It was the day after Christmas, and I had dreamt about nothing but the presents I was to get Christmas Day. Ha, ha, ha. The presents I was to get. Ha, 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 ha. The shirts were swell. The socks were fine. They're all size 10, but my feet are size 9. I've had a very merry Christmas. The watch won't run. The wallet's split. The gloves are small. The pajamas don't fit. I've had a very merry Christmas. Ten dozen hankies, a gift of Auntie Roses. Ten dozen hankies, she must think I'm all covered with noses. Six neckties are all handmade. They're lovely ties, but they're all the same shade. Oh, I've had a very merry Christmas. Jingle bells, jingle bells, give my heart a lift. Tomorrow I'll be on my way exchanging every gift. My heaven, fine time I had. <laughs> The pen won't write, the slippers gap, the bathrobe's tight, and the camera won't snap. I've had a very merry Christmas. <laughs> Those dime cigars are much too strong, the sweater's wide, and the shorts are too long. I've had a very merry 
ring and gold. The muffler's thin and I caught a good cold, oh, I've had a very merry Christmas. Thank heavens it's only once a year, boy. Thank heavens. Only once a year. Well, now that Jerry and I have both had a chance to be in the spotlight, let's shine it on Jimmy Wallington. Thanks, Dean. And now here's something of interest to everybody. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments... Chew dentine, the gum with... (gasps) Breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with... Breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum, for dentine has a wonderful tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So, for breathless moments... For your breathless moments. Chew dentine, the gum with (gasps) breathtaking flavor. Well, every once in a while, the gang at the recording company picks out a tune for me to sing, and I'm against it. And every once in a while, I pick out a tune, they're against it. The happiest time is when we pick out a tune and find ourselves in perfect accord. And that's the story of the number I'd like to sing now. As you are, as you are. 
I love you'll ever be Though you're near or far It's so clear to me Why you're so dear to me As you are As you you like the song. I liked it too, Dean. Well, thank you, Miss... Oh, for goodness sake, this is really an unexpected compliment. Folks, I want you to meet one of Hal Walsh's brightest and cutest actresses, Marion Marshall. Well, Marion, what are you doing here? I just dropped over to say goodbye. I'm going on a little trip. Now, where are you going? Well, I'm tucking a print of our new picture, Sailor Beware, in my suitcase, and I'm going on a two-week tour of 11 Naval District Headquarters. I have a pretty important job to do. This trip is sponsored by the March of Dimes, and I'm going to do my best to let everyone know how important and vital their contributions are. Well, you couldn't be talking about a worthier charity, Marion. The National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis needs the help of every person in this nation. Everything that's sent in is another step in the direction that may bring relief to the many thousands of sufferers. So, have a good trip, Marion, and here's hoping you start those dimes and dollars marching all over the country. Thank you, Dean. Good night, folks. Hey, Jan, did you see that new ad for Chesterfield? Oh, you mean the one showing you and me dressed up as sailors, huh? Mm, that's the one. Yeah, I got a telegram from Washington. Uh, they said they were glad to see us in sailor suits. Oh, a telegram from the Navy? No, from the Army. From the Army. <laughs> no kidding, folks. You'll see Jerry and I in the new Chesterfield poster when you buy cigarettes. And we'll be telling you to sound off for Chesterfield just like this. We're sailors in our latest ad. Our pants are tight. We sure look bad. But man to smokers will appeal. Because we're holding Chesterfield. 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 Milder, 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 milder. Chesterfield. That's right. Sailor soldiers, all you folks can get the very best in smokes. Just change to Chesterfield today. Enjoy your smoking all the way. Sound off. The Chesterfield. Sound at Chesterfield, enjoy your smoking all the way at Chesterfield. That's right! Ladies and gentlemen, our guest tonight is one of Hollywood's most popular character actors, Mr. Hans Conried. One of Mr. Conried's best characters is that of a blustering Englishman. And it just so happens that my partner Jerry is terribly impressed by very important Britishers. So, with your permission, I'd like to fool Jerry into thinking that Mr. Conrad is a famous English actor. Now, we'll see what happens. And, uh, uh-oh, here's Jerry now, so uh, here goes. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I'd like to present one of England's foremost actors, a man you've seen in countless British films. Here he is, Mr. John Newton.
Well, thank you, Mr. Martin. As I told you earlier, I've been exceedingly eager to appear on your program. So I was told that if I were to meet Martin and Lewis, I would see living proof of the Darwinian theory that man has descended from the apes. <laughs> well, I, maybe my partner can help you. Hey, Jeff, come here. Yeah, what is it, Dan? I was it. Lando Goshen, there's a stranger in our midst. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Martin. Well, good night. Oh, no, no. Don't rush off, John. Well, why don't you ask Jerry what he thinks of the Darwin uh, theory? Well, I'd be happy to. Just as soon as he stops swinging his tail in my face. <laughs> All right, let's stop when he insults, buddy. I don't even know you. <laughs> oh, come on, Jerry. You know who this is. I told you someone special was visiting us tonight, remember? It's your cousin Salvatore from Italy. <laughs> With my accent, I could hardly be Cousin Salvatore from Italy. Good heavens, I've been tricked. The man's a Swede. <laughs> Tell me, Gene, would you call this fellow an American adult? Uh, yes, I guess so. You know, I never shall understand how you chaps did it to us at Bunker Hill. <laughs> Bunker Hill? Oh, I get it. The bloke's a Britisher. Hey, tell me, is it true that Big Ben wears elevator shoes? Oh, cut it out, Jerry. It's about time you were introduced properly. I I'm sure you've heard of Mr. Newton. Newton? 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 Oh, sure. I've been eating his figs. <laughs> Jerry, Mr. Newton happens to be one of our greatest actors. Haven't you seen him in a lot of English pictures? How could I? We don't have a television set. <laughs> you know? You know, Mr. Newton... We make pictures, too. Uh, right now, one of our pictures is playing in England. That is precisely why I am in America. <laughs> Don't be so uppity. I know lots of English actors. Do you know that husband and wife team, uh, uh, Lawrence Hollivar and Vivian Lux? <laughs> why, it's unbelievable. I wager he refers to our Prime Minister as the Honorable Winston Cheesecake. I'm only kidding, honest, Mr. Newton. I really got a lot of respect for you. Really, I have. As a matter of fact, I'd love to be in an English picture with you. Like uh, Oliver Twist? Well, why not give it a try tonight? Charles Dickens is past caring, and I've always wanted to play the part of Fagin. All righty. And now... Let's go back to England in the 1800s. Our scene is a miserable street, in a miserable district, in a miserable suburb of London. There, sitting on a curb, is a miserable little boy. My name is Oliver Twist, it is. <laughs> My mother disappeared the day I was born. She took one look at me, and that did it. <laughs> Since then, I've been working on me own. The first year, I worked 16 hours a day, just changing myself. <laughs> when I was 10, I'd walked 60 miles to London. I would have taken the streetcar, only it was in Hollywood making a movie. <laughs> streetcar, you know? <laughs> uh. <laughs> now, now I'm in London, cold and alone. Oi, who's this shifty bloke stepping over to me? Hello, my lad. What's your name? They call me Oliver Twister. Twist? That's a funny name. Dad wanted a pretzel. 
beg your pardon, sir. I beg your pardon, sir. How can they call you the Awful Dodger? How'd you know I was the Awful Dodger? I read the book. <laughs> you look hungry, Oliver. Why don't you eat? I can't afford it, sir. I know an old man will give you board and lodgings for nothing. Name is Fagan, it is. Where does he live, sir? Just follow me right up these steps. I'll give this special knock. not in. Let me try, sir. Who's knocking? It's me. It's me, the artful dodger. Who you got with you? The door's closed. How'd you know someone was with me? I read the book, too. Oh. <laughs> well, Oliver, this is Fagin. Yes, boy. It's me, Fagin. <laughs> they call me Fagin. <laughs> kind Fagin. Generous Fagin. <laughs> That's me, boy. Fagin. <laughs> Fagin? Hey, Fagin, me boy. This is Oliver Twist, eh? Twist? Twist, that's a funny name. All right, Dad wanted a corkscrew. <laughs> Enough of this petty idiocy. I can't stand it. Fire on. Fire. 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 You left one out. <laughs> Which one is that? Fair. <laughs> Tell me, Oliver, what do you think of our little home here? Hey, you got pigs in here? Oh, you ain't sleeping with no dirty pigs, eh? Oh, don't let it trouble you, boy. They'll get used to you. <laughs> Oliver's hungry, Fagin, and he ain't got no money. Ah, oh, well, cheer up, Oliver. From now on, the eats are on old Fagin. Here, I may be poor, sir, but when I eat, I eat off a table. <laughs> All right, Oliver. You like cheesecake? Sure. Oh, sure, sir. He's the best prime minister we ever had. <laughs> While we all go out to untwist Oliver, let's listen to the good advice of Jimmy Wallington. Thank you, Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, every day you hear more and more about an incredibly fast way to relieve the pains of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. It's Anacin, A-N-A-C-I-N. Now, the reason Anacin is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anacin is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anacin contains not just one but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discovered the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes, take Anison. A-N-A-C-I-N. Anison in handy boxes of 12 and 30. Economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. Ask for Anison at any drug counter.
When a lyric writer with 500 songs to his credit picks out one of his all-time greatest, chances are that it's a pretty powerful song, such as the case with Leo Robin, who was asked by Ralph Ranger to write a lyric for a tune of his. And the end result was a song that will always be considered an, an all-time great. So, with your kind permission... It's June in January Because I'm in love It always is spring in my heart With you in my arms The snow is just white blossoms that fall from above and here is the reason my dear your magical charm the night is cold The trees are bare But I can feel The scent of roses In the air It's June In January Because I'm in But only because I'm in love with you. The night is cold, the trees are bare, but I can feel the scent of roses in the certainly enjoyed having you as a guest. Yeah, you really surprised me. Everyone said that English people have a slower sense of humor than us, and it took a long time to get jokes. But you were laughing all through the show. You thought we were pretty funny, huh, Mr. Newton? Well, I'm afraid I won't be able to answer that for a few days. Tonight I was laughing at last Tuesday's Bob Hope show. <laughs> Thanks for being such a good sport. Good night, boys.
Before we leave tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to say something both serious and important. On our last television show and radio program, we talked about the dread disease, muscular dystrophy. Your response was so wonderful that we would like to mention it over and over again. Muscular dystrophy is a disease for which there is no known cause or cure, striking young and old alike and ending in death. The only way we can lick this terrible disease is through further research, and the only way this research can be continued is your contributions. As Dean said previously, if only every listener would send one cent, it would go a long way toward continued research and a possible cure. Please send a little something tonight. Mail your contribution to MDA, 21 East 40th Street, New York City. That's MDA, 21 East 40th Street, New York City, New York. Good night, everybody. Night. From Hollywood, you have just heard transcribed the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show, written by Ed Simmons and Norman Lear, produced and directed by Dick Mack, with music under the direction of Dick Stabile. Brought to you by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor, by Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too, by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And by Anderson, for fast relief from pain of headache, uritis, and neuralgia. The role of John Newton was portrayed tonight by Mr. Hans Conry. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you, transcribed Monday through Friday, by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. Well, I'm through packing this truck. And that takes care of all the packing. Good. Where's the evening paper? Oh, someplace, Ron. 
say that trunk certainly looks as if it had eaten a big dinner. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me. David, if you haven't got anything to do, you can come help me in the kitchen, will I you? thought as much. No peace for the weary. You mean the wicked. Come on, Shakespeare, you can help me, too. Careful, you're stepping on it. Yeah. Now, hand me the ladder, will you? I want to see what's on the top shelf of the cupboard. Nothing up there. You can't reach it. Now, where's my paper? I better just look to make sure. I may have hidden something away. I'll do it. You'll only fall down and break in little pieces. Oh, if I had the wings of an angel, one jar preserves coming down. Oh, wonderful. It's brand new. We'll take it with us. A half a jar of honey coming down. David, don't throw it. The little come off. It'll spill. The stepladder's tipping, David. Out of my way. Out, out. I'm jumping. You all right? Certainly I'm all right. Didn't you see my parachute open? I'll never ask you to help me again as long as I live. Good. How's the stepladder? One leg's cracked. You see, it wasn't safe. And don't ever let me catch you climbing up on anything that's not safe. I've climbed up on that stepladder a hundred times. It's safe enough for me. I'm light as a feather, and I have a wonderful sense of balance. Mm-hmm. What do we do in this jar of honey now we've got it? Uh, put it in that crate with the rest of the preserves if you insist on keeping it. I don't insist on keeping it. I just don't want to throw it away, and I don't want to take it with us. You're making sense. Yes, I am. Perfect sense. I don't want to throw it away because I don't believe in throwing things away. And I don't want to take it with us because I... I know, I know. We're moving with everything new. Because it will open and it will spill. Now, I know I'll put it here on the table and give it to Mama in the morning. Mama will be delighted. Well, that's all for the kitchen, isn't it? Looks like it. David, now, could you take that hat box from the shelf in the hall closet? Can't we do it in the morning? Oh, I'd rather finish up everything tonight. Then I can sleep without a conscience. Any sacrifice is worth that. Take a look and and see if you find Mama's umbrella while you're there. What would it be doing up here? I don't know. Where do umbrellas go when you can't find them? Do you see anything? Just dark. Get me some matches, dear. What was that? I didn't hear anything up here. I better go to the kitchen and see. I'll be right back. No, no umbrella. Oh, Shakespeare, look what you did and look at you. Don't cry to me for sympathy. Oh, wait till David sees this. Wait till David sees what? He was in the honey jar. He must think he's a bear. He looks lovely basted in honey, don't you think? <laughs> hey, get away from me, Shakespeare. Get on. Hey, he's r- rubbing honey on your trousers. Scat, get away. Scat, scat. Cat, scat. He's sticking to the floor. Oh, I always thought he was a clinging vine. Oh, Shakespeare, honestly, you're a mess. Go away. Nobody wants you. Hey, come here. I'll give you a bath. Darling, kittens don't take baths. This one is going to have to. We can't have him running around like this. It's like living with a piece of fly paper. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Let's hang him on the chandelier. (laughs) We have no chandeliers, (laughs) so we'll give him a bath instead. I repeat, kittens don't take baths. They wash themselves. Maybe they don't take baths, but they get bathed. I read it in a book. What book? I forget. All the cats I've ever known nick lick themselves clean. It'll take him a year. Then let it take him a year. Keep him busy and out of trouble. We can't move upstairs with him like this tomorrow. He'll get in all the paint and mess everything up. He'll get in all of the paint anyway. Besides, he'll feel awful. Everything else is going to be so nice and clean and new. He'll get a complex moving in like an old jar of honey on his back. Fine. Something old, something new, something borrowed, That's something sticky. That's for brides, not for cats. <laughs> Shakespeare, come here. David, don't let him go in the living room. Catch him! You catch him. I'm not going to touch him. Oh, you're a great help. Hey, come back here, you... David, run the water in the sink. Throw him in the bathtub. He'll drown. 
Cats swim? I saw a picture of one swimming the other day. Here I come. Stand aside. Want me to get your shower cap or bath salts? <laughs> All right, now in you go. Oh, he loves it. He's a real water baby. He does. Oh, Shakespeare, don't scratch now. Be still now. He doesn't. Just soap in your eyes if you aren't still, you little... That's a boy, Shakespeare. Don't let her make a sissy out of you. Stand up for your rights. David, if you say another word to him, I'm I'll... just giving him a little moral support. Shakespeare, please. We're almost finished. Please hold still. <laughs> David, take my hair out of my eyes. I can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> he, he looks like a drowned rat, and oh. so do you. <laughs> Shakespeare, you're scratching. You're getting water all over me. <laughs> he certainly loves this. You'll have to give him a bath every Saturday night. There, now I've got him all soaked up. Turn the faucet on, please. I just can't let go of him. The hot or cold? Hot and hurry. He's slipping out of my hand. Oh, he ought to end up with a cold shower like I do or he'll catch cold. I wouldn't dream of it. Make it warm. He's just a kitten, baby. Mm, let him become a man, then. He's much too young. You know what you're doing, of course. You're holding him back keeping him a baby longer than he wants to be. He's only four weeks old. Stop rushing him. <laughs> all right, all right. Make a sissy out of him. Don't give him his long pants till after all the other boys on the block have he's gotten there. He's soap in his eyes. Yeah. Turn on the water now. All right, he's all yours, but you're a baby. Now, see, he's enjoying this. He's not coming anymore. He doesn't want to swallow a mouthful of soap. Do you, fella? Now, hand me the towel. I'll wrap him up in it and get him all nice and warm. We'll go in the living room. It's warmer in there, baby. I oh, am exhausted. Sweet. You're exhausted. I repeat, I'm exhausted. And if you and that cat don't mind, I'd still like to have a look at the evening paper. Go right ahead. We don't need to be entertained, do we, Shakespeare? Now, kitty, you just sit down here and we'll get you all nice and dry. Oh, it's a sweet little kitty, sweet. Come on, my sweet. David. Hmm? He's purring now. He's growling. Growling? I've no further interest in him. Any cat who allows himself to be given a bath is not for me. That must be Mama. Want me to answer? No, I'll go. You watch Shakespeare. Now, you sit there and be still, you naughty little kid. See? He understands. Mm. He says yes to everything. Just a Casper milk coat. Mama? Yep, we're all through packing. Say, how would you like a half a tomato? Well, you're very ungrateful. Guess what? We just gave Shakespeare a bath. We had to. He fell into a jar of honey. <laughs> no, he loved it. Not the honey, the bath. Of course he loved it. Say, why don't you come over in the morning, Mama? About nine o'clock? That'll be fine. Bye. That was Mama. Oh, Dave. David, where are you? Looking for the first section of the paper. Have you seen it? How many times do I have to tell you no? Say, if you got a little pocket comb I could use on Shakespeare. No, I have not. Use your own comb. Must I? It's new. Come here, Shake. Spear. <laughs> hey, where'd you go? <laughs> David, he's not on the chair where I left him. What's the difference? He's around here someplace. Just catch his death of cold running around all wet. Shakespeare, come back here, you, 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 catch you. I see him in here, do you? Mm. He heard you say you were going to comb him. Not on top of any of the furniture. Here, pushy, 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 pushy. Must be in the bedroom. While you're under the bed, will you look for the paper? David, look under the radiators and in the hall. He often sits under the console. No. No what? No cat. He isn't in here. Where's 
earth could he have gone? Look in the sink. Maybe he's taking another bath. Oh, don't be silly. Cats <laughs> don't like baths. Kitty, 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 kitty. Oh, maybe he's under the stove. David, are you sure he's not in the living room? Not unless he opened that trunk and pulled the top down after him. Have we got a flashlight? It's packed. Not in the kitchen. The only other place must be under the break front in the dining room. Give me some matches, will you? What are you going to do? Take a look. I'll do it. You'll set the house on fire. I don't think you can see under it. You have to pull it away from the wall. Well, well, I guess I'm stronger than I thought I was. Shakespeare under there? Yeah, can't see him. I'll light a match for you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got something. Is it here? Mm, No. Your mother's umbrella. No. Yes. Well, if Mama's umbrella can get under the brake front, you can imagine where Shakespeare's got and we'll <laughs> never find him. Oh, David, why didn't you watch him the way I asked you to? I am not a cat sitter. Think he could have jumped out of the window? What window? I noticed a little window open in the pantry. It's just open a few inches. He wouldn't have. He's just a kitten. Do you see anything? Only the fire escape and it's pitch black out. Oh, I'm sure he wouldn't have gone down there. Would he? He loves it here with us. Oh, bath and all. Come on, come on. Let's go to bed. I'd be a lot happier if I knew where he was. Oh, he's probably in a closet or under some piece of furniture where we can't see him. He'll come out in the morning when he's hungry. I wish I were sure. Well, I am sure. And I am turning out the light and I am turning into bed. Come on, darling. Turn around and come along. Now, who do you think that is at this hour? We're practically in bed. Look, darling, Shakespeare is too small to ring the buzzer himself. Oh, silly. <laughs> I'll answer. I'm already there. Fritz. Uh, Mrs. Norton, I'm sorry to disturb you, but... You're not disturbing us, Fritz. I find you a kitten on the street. Bertha said right off that is Mrs. Norton's kitten, Shakespeare. Shakespeare on the street? I find him fighting in the alleyway with a great big cat. Shakespeare fighting? Yeah, yeah. Let me take him, Fritz. Oh, you get dirty. He's not quite clean. But, but I just gave him a bath. Well, you'd never suspect it now. It's Shakespeare, but you'd hardly know him. Yeah, it's him, all right. I said it couldn't be, but Bertha said she was sure, and Bertha was right. He must have gone out the window. Now, that's some cat after oh, all. Oh, look at you all filthy and black. Come here, you... Nice business running away. And, Fritz, we can never thank you for bringing him back. Uh, good night, Fritz. Thanks a lot. Shakespeare, say thank you to Fritz. Now, go on. <laughs> good night. <laughs> good night. David, the rascal. Hey, look. Look, he's missing a big patch of hair. Where? Yeah, right there behind his left ear. It's his battle scar. I better get the eye down. Oh, leave him alone. He's proud of it. He looks fierce. He isn't a mama baby anymore. One little evening out, and look at him. (laughs) Oh, look at him, would you? He sure is proud of himself. (laughs) His tail is sticking straight up in the air like a flag. (laughs) His battle flag of freedom. Just like a man strutting around. (laughs) (laughs) Claudia. Claudia, I hope you realize what this means. What? Shakespeare will stand for no more pampering. No sirree. He jumped out of that window, a child. And he's come back a man. (laughs) 
This broadcast of Claudio was supervised and directed by William Brown Maloney. What are you planning for your club meeting snack? Whether it's a salty salad or sandwich, a sweet cake or cookie, there's one thing that'll go with it perfectly, and that's frosty, delicious Coca-Cola. And you won't have to leave your guests to get Coke either. Just reach into the refrigerator, fill a tray with bottles, and bring them in. That's easy hospitality everyone appreciates at any hour. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you, transcribed, with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir and remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola, for ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes. Your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House. The coffee that's always good to the last drop. Now is the time of year when a strange malady falls upon the land, affecting people from every walk of life. Butchers and bakers and candlestick makers, rookies and bookies and Senator Kefauver. It's an affliction that kills off thousands of grandmothers and brings a peculiar gleam to millions of eyes. It's known as baseball fever. And nowhere is it more prominent than in a certain white frame house on Maple Street in the fair city of Springfield, like this. Well, sure, but they had the tying run on third, didn't they? The situation called for a squeeze play, and you know it. Jim, your eggs are getting ice cold. One out and a man on third, and he lets the batter hit away. But Kelleher hits a long ball, Dad. If he hit a home run, we'd have won the game. But if you're not interested in But he didn't hit a home run. He popped up. Well, sure, but he could have hit a home run. The paper says it might snow. If I'd been running the team, I'd have squeezed the man in. Maybe Kelleher doesn't know how to bunt. Three people in Miami were lost in a blizzard. Anybody who doesn't know how to bunt has no right playing in triple-A ball. I didn't say he didn't. I said maybe he didn't. Sixty-four people were killed in a telephone booth. (laughs) But if he played it safe, he couldn't have missed. Somebody dropped an atom bomb when they weren't looking. That's fine, honey. But 
<laughs> the basic principle of a squeeze play makes it almost foolproof. All they had to do was... What? Something wrong, dear? What did you just say? I don't know, dear. I wasn't listening. Sixty-four people were killed. Oh, that. Where did you see anything about 64 people being killed? Well, you know, I may go down in history as the first person to find a practical use for the atom bomb. What are you talking about? It's probably the only thing known to science that will stop a conversation about baseball. 64 people in a telephone booth. Well, they were good friends. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Good morning, Hi. Betty. How's the baseball capital of the world? We have just relived last night's game between Springfield and Columbus. Margaret. Pitch for pitch. Holy cow, Mom. We were just talking. Baseball. I got all dressed up last night, and where did Roger take me? To the ball game. Hey, did you see the game last night? Well, I was there. <laughs> Betty, in the ninth inning, when Sour was on third... Jim, let's not go into that again, please. But, honey, if she was there... I don't even know where third is. Oh, fine. <laughs> and furthermore, I don't care. Drink your orange juice, dear. Betty, how could anyone possibly be in this family as long as you have and know as little about baseball? It isn't easy. <laughs> but I'll keep trying. Morning, everybody. Hello, honey. Kathy's only nine, and she knows more about baseball in ten minutes than you do in a year. Hooray for her. But Joe Phillips was here last night. Just a second, kitten. Tell your sister where third base is. Third base? That's right. I didn't take it. <laughs> Kathy, when you play baseball, where is third base? Oh, it's the rock next to the Hathaway's fence. Margaret, may I have my coffee? Of course, dear. Did somebody move it? Kathy, let's talk about something else. Well, that's the nicest thing I've heard around here for the past month. Father, they're having a sale at Gorman's, and I saw the most wonderful... Betty. Yes, Father? We're not going to talk about dresses. Well, I wasn't talking about a dress, Father. Oh, well, that's more like it. This was the most beautiful suit you ever saw. <laughs> and it was reduced from eighty nine fifty. Betty. Yes, Father? No. Jumping creepers. Anybody else have any ideas about a topic of general interest? Wall Street? The foreign situation? Gasoline scooters? Not gasoline scooters. That's what I thought. How about Joe Phillips? Well, that's a nice, lively subject. What about him? He was here last night. Fine. Anybody have anything brilliant to say about the weather? Did I tell you about the envelope? What envelope? The one Joe Phillips left. This is going by way of Sioux City, Iowa. <laughs> All right, Kathy, what about the envelope? It's on the desk in the den, and Joe said to be sure not to lose it because it has the tickets. What tickets? The baseball tickets the Bud won in the raffle. Hey! Bud! Baseball again. But I won! Bud, you're getting the whole table I won the tickets, oh. Dad. They picked my name. I won! Bud, will you please calm down? There's no need to... Kathy, see who's at the door. It was Bud's door. I won! Never mind whose door it was. Please see who it is. Gee whiz, just because I'm the littlest one in the family, I'm not supposed to have any feelings. 
Bud. What's this all about? I won the tickets. Oh, dear. He spilled the cream all over the table. I'll fix it, Mother. You won what tickets? For the double-headed tomorrow. We all chipped in a quarter apiece, and I won. I got two tickets for a quarter. Bud, don't you realize that that amounts to gambling? But what... And you know how we feel about gambling. It wasn't gambling, Dad. The boys' club got the money that was left over. Oh, how much was that? Thirty-five cents. <laughs> Give the tickets back. But, Dad, they're playing Columbus. I wouldn't care if they were playing the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Oh, gosh, Dad. I thought you'd be happy I could treat you to the game. When a bunch of boys... What? <laughs> well, we couldn't afford to treat our fathers any other way, so that's the way we did it. Your father's absolutely right, Bud. You and the other Just boys... Just a minute, had... Margaret. <laughs> Let's look at this thing in a practical way. Why, Jim... As long as the boys had an unselfish motive... Jim Anderson... And after all, the boys' club is making 35 cents... Bud, the next time you spill the cream, you can just clean it up yourself. All right, Betty, that's good enough. Going to play Columbus, huh? They're in first place, too, but if we win both games... Daddy! Just a minute, Bud. What is it, Kathy? It was a telegram, and I had to sign for it. Fine. Now you can sit down and rest a while. (laughs) (laughs) Who's it from, Jim? Suppose I open it and see. I think that's a very good idea. I signed it, Kathleen Joy Anderson, and I had to write it very small. No! Jim! Why does she have to pick on us? It isn't Aunt Martha. Not again. She'll be here in the morning. Oh, no. Oh, boy! What are you so happy about? She always gives me a dollar. Maybe she won't come, huh, Dad, like last time? She'll be here. At 10.17 tomorrow. Oh, dear. Why does she have to come at all? She's only going to stay one day. How do you know? It says so here. See? Arrive 10.17 train Sunday. Staying one day. Meet me. Tight-fisted old character. It'd kill her to use more than ten words. Jim. Well, she's my aunt. And if I want to say she's tight-fisted, I'm going to say it. She's (laughs) tight-fisted. You said it. Bud, will you please show a little more respect for your elders? But you just said... Never mind what I just said. She's old enough to be your grandmother. You owe her a certain amount of respect. Yes, sir. The old battle axe. Well, that takes care of your ball game tomorrow. Why? Jim, you're not going to run off to a ball game and leave her here. Why not? Jim Anderson, I will not entertain your Aunt Martha and her friends alone. What friends? Who said anything about any friends? Aunt Martha hasn't been in Springfield for over a year, and I'm sure she expects to see all of her old cronies. Well, let her go see them. Who's stopping her? We'll have to have them here. Holy cow. Oh, Margaret. We'll have to serve tea and get some little cakes and things. Honey, you... Jim, I haven't time to argue about it. I've got to call Mrs. Thornby... And Mrs. Winters. You mean rich Mrs. Winters with the iron fans? Yes, dear. She gave me a dollar once. And I know she'll expect to see Mrs. Horace and Mr. Forrester. You mean rich Mr. Forrester with the electric runabout? He gave me a dollar, too. (laughs) Kathy. But they're the most prominent people in town. They're a bunch of old fuddy-duddies. Jim, that's no way to refer to the aristocracy of Springfield. Aristocracy my foot. 
just because they've got a lot of money. Oh, Mother, this is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. We can get our names in the society column. Isn't that awful? Margaret, just because my Aunt Martha's husband cornered the market in buggy whips... Jim, please stop. <laughs> he was the biggest crook in the whole buggy whip business. That's what he was. And if you think... Amanda Wilson. We'll have to call her. Amanda Wilson? Margaret, if you'll only listen to me... You mean the Amanda Wilson with the Rolls Royce and the chauffeur and the butler and the cook Betty. and... Betty... The... Stop drooling and sit down. But, Father... Bud and I have tickets for the ball game tomorrow, and I don't care if my Aunt Martha shows up with the caretaker of Fort Knox. You are not going to leave this house tomorrow afternoon, Jim, and you might as well... Betty, where are you going? I have to call the society editor and arrange for pictures. Margaret, for the love of Pete. And it's a double header too. There'll be lots of other ball games. And, Kathy, you haven't finished your breakfast. I haven't got time, Mommy. I have to go to the store. What for? I have to buy a new piggy bank. <laughs> Will Father go to the ball game with Bud or stay home and help entertain Aunt Martha? Right now, it looks like Mother will have the last word on that. But more often than not, ladies, you look to the man of the house for the final say-so. For example, the final judge of coffee at its best is your husband, for he's the world's greatest coffee expert. We're known as experts, too, because more families buy Maxwell House coffee than any other brand. But when your husband sits down to enjoy coffee you brewed, why, he's the only expert you want to hear from. And tomorrow, you've only to pour him a tempting, delicious cup of Maxwell House to see him glow with pleasure and say, Gee, that's good coffee. You bet he'll say that. Fact is, we'll return your money if he doesn't say so. You see, only Maxwell House has that grand, good-to-the-last-drop flavor thanks to a recipe that belongs to Maxwell House alone. It's a recipe that demands choice, rich coffees, blended and roasted just so. That's the reason no other coffee tastes like Maxwell House. No other coffee's made like Maxwell House. So serve our Maxwell House to your husband. If he doesn't smile and say, best coffee ever, well, just send us the can, an unused portion, and we'll refund your purchase price. Our address is right on every familiar blue tin. Yes, tomorrow, fill the cup of the world's greatest coffee expert, your husband, with the truly satisfying flavor of Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop. It's Sunday in Springfield, and the noonday sun is shining and bright and warm. There's a feeling of joy and exhilaration in the air. The spirit of gaiety and good cheer. Everywhere, that is, but at 607 Maple Street. There they've got... Aunt Martha. Like this. I tell you, there is a draft, Margaret. I can feel it going right through my bones. All right, Bud. Close the window again. Yes, ma'am. Miserable city, Springfield. Always has been and always will be. You know, Aunt Martha, there's a train leaving at one o'clock. Jim! Well, I just want Aunt Martha to be happy, and if she doesn't like it in Springfield... Don't you think the children have grown, Aunt Martha? What did you expect them to do? Get smaller? <laughs> no, 
but I was... Children have been growing for thousands of years, but parents act like they ought to be given a medal. Did you say something, dear? No, I was just thinking. Jim, stand up. What? I said stand up. Now, look, Aunt Martha, I'm not a child, and if you think... Jim. All right. I'm up. Now what? Disgusting. What is? The way you put on weight. I've done no such thing. I can wear the same clothes I was wearing 15 years ago. As a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> You've got a corporation. I have not got a corporation. Jim, stop arguing with me. If there's one thing I detest, Margaret, this room is stifling. Yes, Aunt Martha. Stuffiest room I've ever been in in all my life. All right, bud. Yes, ma'am. That's the trouble with modern houses. One minute they're cold, the next minute they're hotter than the hinges of where? <laughs> Little Kathleen. Is this the bag you wanted, Aunt Martha? Oh, thank you, child. You're very sweet. You're welcome, Aunt Martha. Only one in the entire family with an ounce of brains. Can't for the life of me figure out, bud. Yes, ma'am. Mother, I just talked to Miss Pritchard at the newspaper office and it's all arranged. That's fine, dear. She's going to send Mrs. Latham over as soon as she finds her. Isn't it marvelous? Betty, I wish you would stop bouncing. Yes, Aunt Martha. It's enough to make a person seasick. <laughs> they might even take pictures. Would you like to hear my piece now, Aunt Martha? Not right now, Kathy. But Aunt Martha said she was going to give me a dollar as soon Your as I... Your mother said not now, Kathy. <laughs> Gee whiz. Bud. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> what are you doing with that window? I thought somebody said Bud. Close the window and leave it alone. Yes, ma'am. But, uh, may I speak to you in the den, please? Jim, you're not going to try anything. I would like to speak privately to my son about something I just happen to remember. Do you mind? No, but just be careful. Yes, Margaret. All right, bud. Who's going to open and close the window? <laughs> I'll take care of it. Okay. Come on, bud. Yes, sir. Now, would you like to hear my piece, Aunt Martha? Why don't you wait until later, Kathy? There'll be lots of time, Kathleen. Lots of time. Boy, am I getting a workout with that window. <laughs> Bud, when does the first game start? 1.30. All right. Are we going to take this lying down, or are we going to fight? I don't know. We're going to fight. We're going to show Aunt Martha that she can't push us around. Had a boy. And do you know how we're going to do it? How? I don't know. <laughs> Why don't we just go to the ball game? Bud, your mother and I have been happily married for 18 years, and if you don't mind, I'd like to keep it that way. Okay. It's going to take an emergency. What if there were an emergency? What kind of an emergency? The worst kind. Hector Smith is in trouble, and we've got to help him. How do you know? He's going to call. He is? Well, he won't really call, but... But I don't want you to get the idea that this is a usual thing with me. Oh, I don't, Dad. This is an extreme sort of emergency. I know. I mean, ours is. It sure is. And it requires extreme measures to counteract it. You bet. Do you understand what I've just said? Sure. 
We're gonna pull a fast one on Mom. <laughs> well, I suppose you could put it that way. What are we gonna do? That's a very good question. Now all we need is a very good answer. Let's see. You were to go next door and use the Davis's telephone. That's a good idea. No, if you weren't around, your mother'd get suspicious. What's the difference? She's suspicious now. <laughs> True. But in planning a campaign of so delicate a nature... Daddy! Kathy, that's the answer. Good old Kathy. It is? I mean, she is? She certainly is. Daddy, Mommy says... Just a second, kid, and come on in. Bud and I want to speak to you, don't we, Bud? Hmm? Oh, oh, sure. What did I do now? Not a thing, baby. Not a single blessed thing. Mommy says, are you going to stay in here all day? Kathy, how would you like to do a big favor for Daddy? What kind of a favor? A very simple one. Call me up on the telephone. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. Then how can I call you up? Because you're going somewhere. I can't. I have to recite my piece. Just next door, Kathy, to the Davises. Next door? To the Davises. And you want me to call you on the phone? That's right. What for? Kathy. Oh, we want to see if the bell rings. What bell? The telephone bell. Well, sure. Why didn't you say so? I just did. <laughs> and, Kathy, we don't want Mommy to worry about the telephone, so we'll keep this a secret, won't we? Oh, sure. Go out the back way. It's quicker. Okay. Say, how will I know if it doesn't ring? Uh, we'll tell you when we answer it. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'll hurry as fast as I can, Daddy. That's a good girl. Jim! Uh, we'll be right in, honey. Bud. Yes, Dad? To make it look good, I won't rush to the phone when it rings. You take it and tell me it's Mr. Smith. Okay. And keep your fingers crossed. I've had them crossed all day. What are you two mumbling about? Uh, it's just man talk, honey. Well, how's everybody getting along in here? Jim, you've got to do something about this house. Betty? Yes, Aunt Martha. The wind whistles through here like a sieve. <laughs> Want me to take the window, Betty? Would you please? Sure, I'll be. Bud. Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry, Betty. I have to answer the telephone. <laughs> what? He uh, means if it rings, he has to answer it. Don't you, Bud? Oh, yeah. That's what I mean. If it rings. <laughs> It'd be kind of silly answering a phone if it didn't ring, wouldn't it? <laughs> Jim, I think you and I had better have a little talk. About what, honey? Don't forget Aunt Martha is here and she's our guest. Aren't you, Aunt Martha? You made more sense when you were five years old. <laughs> I guess I did at that, didn't I? I have never seen a house like this. As soon as the window is closed, the furnace goes crazy. Betty. Yes, Aunt Martha. Enough to suffocate a body. <laughs> well, what do you know? The phone. Dad, it's Mr. Smith. Bud. <laughs> well, I... Don't you think you ought to answer it first? Oh, sure. I'll be glad to. Never mind. I'll get it myself. Bud, you and I are going to sit down and have a long talk. Yes, ma'am. My son. Leave it to him to get everything all fouled up. It's Mr. Smith. Hello? Hello, Daddy. This is Kathy. Oh, hello, Sam. How are you? Hello, Daddy. 
No, we were just sitting around, uh, talking. Daddy, it's Kathy. You are, huh? Well, how did that happen? How what happened? Stuck in the mud, huh? <laughs> Daddy. Outside of Plainville? Well, that's awful. Daddy, don't you want to talk to me? Why, it won't be any trouble at all, Sam. Daddy. But I'll be there in less than an hour. Daddy. Glad to help, Sam. It isn't, Sam. See you later, Sam. Daddy. This is awful, Margaret. Sam Woody's in a terrible spot. So I gathered. He's stuck in the mud outside of Plainville, and I promised that Bud and I would go help him. Well, that's very nice of you, dear. Now, get your coat, Bud. We haven't any time to lose. Okay, Dad. And make sure we've got a good tow cable in the car. You bet. Uh, better take along an extra motor, too, dear. All right. <laughs> what? I was talking to Dorothy this morning, and she said their motor was being overhauled. <laughs> And I really think they should have a motor, don't you? Driving around the way they are. Well, it'd help. Betty. Yes, Aunt Margaret. You know, it's a funny thing, Margaret, but somehow I get the impression that you don't believe me. No. Yes. Your entire attitude is very strange. It isn't just my attitude, Jim. I see what you mean. Dad, oh, I have to answer it first. I'll get it, bud. Don't you want me to see who it is? No, I'll see who it is myself. A big help he turned out to be. Hello? Hello, Daddy. This is Kathy again. Yes? I forgot to ask you. Did it ring? <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Sam, I'm sure glad you called back. Daddy, it's Kathy. Hold on a second, will you, Sam? But I'm not Sam. Margaret, it wasn't Sam Woody, it was Sam Moore. Oh, really? Yes, wasn't that silly? <laughs> Probably the silliest thing I've ever heard. Let me have that phone. But, Margaret, if you'll just let me tell the you... The phone, I, honey, please. This whole thing... Hello, Kathy? Yes, Mommy? You may come home now. Daddy's all through playing games. <laughs> Mommy? Yes, dear? Did the phone ring? Yes, Angel. It rang beautifully. That's good. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear. Margaret, if you'll just listen for a minute. Yes? Well, maybe it'll take a little longer than a minute. <laughs> But you see... Yes? Uh, Bud... You want me, Dan? Yes, there's something I think you ought to, uh... It, uh, didn't work, huh, Dan? <laughs> Bud, there's no sense letting those tickets go to waste, so, uh... Why don't you take them over to Mr. Phillips? Tell him, uh, we won't be using them. Are you sure? Quite sure, dear. Okay. Everything has to happen to me. Well, that was quite a performance, wasn't it? We'll talk about it later, huh? Oh, you can count on that. Well, if you two are caught up on your gabbing, you can get me my coat. But, Aunt Martha, I told you we're having a tea. Well, have it. Jim, don't stand there. Get my coat. Aunt Martha, you don't understand. This tea is for you. You don't have to visit your friends. They're all coming here. My friends? 
Jim Anderson, do you think I came all the way from Columbus to visit those old fogies? And Martha, I'm going to the ball game. Oh, no. Before you decide on the coffee you'll buy this weekend, ask yourself this question. Which coffee will give me the best value, the most for my money in genuinely good flavor? Put it that way and you'll choose the one coffee famous above all others for flavor, our Maxwell House coffee. Then serve a heartwarming, fragrant cup of Maxwell House to the world's greatest coffee expert, your husband. When he beams with delight and says, best coffee ever, you'll know it's Maxwell House for flavor. And during the week, just count the many cups of superb coffee you get from that familiar blue Maxwell House tin with the big white cup and drop. You'll have your proof of value, ma'am. Tomorrow, then, for more flavor, more real coffee-drinking enjoyment, take home Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop. Now it's Monday, gloomy, gloomy Monday, and nowhere is it more so than in the Anderson's breakfast nook, like this. A fine Sunday that turned out to be. Methuselah and his girlfriends. Bud, how many times have I told you not to read the newspaper at the table? I just want to see the ball scores, Mom. Can I please... Holy cow! What's the matter, Bud? Dad, look at this. I want to see, too. The irate spectator... Oh, no. Jim, what is it? Betty, you wanted our name in the paper? Well, here it is. On the sport page? That's right, with a picture and everything. Jim, you're joking. Oh, sure, big joke. The irate spectator who was arrested for beaning an umpire with a pop bottle during yesterday's doubleheader has been identified as Mrs. Martha Randolph, who is visiting her niece and nephew, Mr. and Mrs. James Anderson, of 607 <laughs> Hurry, hurry, step right up today for brand new Crinkles. Candy-kissed rice, it's twice as nice. Crinkles, the sensational new sugar-coated rice cereal. Yes, sir, the whole family will have a circus eating Crinkles, because candy-kissed rice is twice as nice. Just add milk or cream and eat, no sugar needed. Crinkles are the quick energy treat for snack time, too. Crinkles, the newest post-cereal. Get candy-kissed rice Crinkles today at your grocer. Hurry, 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 hurry. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra. In our cast were Rhoda Williams as Betty, June Whitley, Ted Donaldson, Norma Jean Nilsson, Isabel Randolph, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good till the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James.
Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Your police force goes into action. It's Dragnet next on NBC. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Ah, those speedy Alka-Seltzer bubbles burst into action to relieve your upset stomach and aching head fast. It was only as directed. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is dress. D-R-E-S-S. Really? You'll bet your life. The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Rocho Marx in You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Why doesn't he give up? Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. <laughs> Thank you. Well, here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples. George Fenneman, who's first to try for it? We invited some Scotch war brides to the program tonight, along with their husbands. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. and Mrs. Clarence Parsons. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Well, welcome, Scotties, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll win $100 in cash immediately. It's a common word, something you see every day. Uh, what is your name? Nan Parsons, huh? Mm-hmm. You're a Scotch war bride, huh? That's right. Uh, how old are you? Twenty-five. Twenty-five, yeah. Twenty-five-year-old huh? Scotch, huh? <laughs> Well, you look smooth and mellow, uh, Mary. <laughs> and if you ever need a chaser, give me a ring sometime. <laughs> You're the uh, war bride's husband? Uh, yeah, yes, sir. Clarence uh, Parsons. Uh, right. How old are you, Clarence? 29, sir. Uh, are you Scotch, too? No, I'm half English and half Irish. Oh. Half and half. Blended, eh? <laughs> Where are you from, Clarence? Tulsa, Oklahoma. And what part of Scotland are you from, uh, Nan? I'm from Wishaw. Wishaw? Wishaw, oh, Scotland. Oh, I know that song. When you wish upon a star... <laughs> Is that the uh, theme song of the village? No, no, it isn't. Is it? Uh, for a chick is like the bloomer, they hear that her neck was like the swan. <laughs> her face, it was the fairest I had ever looked upon. Yes, the sure as my name is John. When I get back again to Bonnie Scotland. <laughs> that was one of the things that contributed towards Vaudeville's death. <laughs> How, how long have you two been married? Uh, six years. Nan, how long have you been oh, married? Six years. <laughs> what sort of work do you do, Clarence? I'm a manager of uh, Carnation's demonstration store here in Los Angeles. It's Carnation Ice Cream Company. Oh, and what do you demonstrate? The uh, dispensing of ice cream, sundaes, malls. You don't milk any cows in the window, no. right? <laughs> Not recently. What were you doing when you met uh, Butterscotch here? Uh... <laughs> 
I was with uh, Lockheed uh, attached to the 8th Air Force in, in Ireland at the time. I was on leave on vacation when I met her. How did you trap this fellow? Uh, I'm curious about it. What method does a Hale and Lassie use? Oh. <laughs> I uh, think they uh, over usually... Uh... They're much more... <laughs> <laughs> well, there must be more to it than that, huh? Apparently worked very fast, didn't you? Uh, I guess so, but ordinarily, uh, why, didn't why wait did you... four years. You usually, there. you usually wait four years. Yes. Uh -huh. Why do you wait so long? Oh, Does it take yes. the groom that long before he'll cough up the two bucks for the license? Thank you. Uh, trust them. What's that? It takes that long to trust them. It takes four years before you know whether you can trust them. <laughs> it takes longer than that, kid, but you just don't realize it. <laughs> You don't seem to have much of an accent, man. I thought all Scotch girls talked about the broad, brick, moonlit, nicht, and nicht. Why is it you don't have a bar? Not even an errand bar, you know. that be treason, make the most of it. Eh? I did have a, an accent when I come over at first, but I lost it. You lost it, eh? Well, I'm, I'm sorry you did, because I think it's very charming, this Scotch accent. I'm crazy about it. Are there any other Scotch war brides that you visit occasionally, man? Yes, my sister. Do you have any relatives uh, over here besides your sister? Uh, my in-laws and uh, my uh, closest relatives are overseas in Scotland. Your close relatives are in Scotland, huh? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be crazy about that crack, man. Are, are the Scots really thrifty, man, or is that just a kind of a legend, huh? Oh, they're the average Scot, just as thrifty as you are. <laughs> Well, that certainly answers my question. <laughs> now, Nan, in Scotland, I understand the husband is invariably the boss. Is that true? Do the males always wear the pants in the family? Oh, some, yes, and some have kilts. <laughs> well, don't you find it confusing when someone says your slipper's showing and uh, you don't know whether the remark is intended for you or your boyfriend? Well, you're both very nice kids, and you have every Scottish right to be happy. Huh? <laughs> now, let's see if you're going to be the ones who get the chance at the $2,000 question. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life. You'll never have to wonder about what kind of service you'll get when you take your car to a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Well, that's where you always get efficient service, courteous service, service at a fair price. Yes, and that's where you'll find out about two truly great new cars, DeSoto and Plymouth. The brilliant new DeSoto with its sweeping lines is new from its magnificent full-width front grille to its smart-looking newly designed rear end. Inside and out, it's as beautiful a car as you've ever seen. Inside and out, it's as practical a car as you've ever dreamed of. When you drive the new DeSoto, you'll be thrilled by the surge of power at your command. And remember... All dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, the beautiful car that's packed with value and ready to prove it. Now, let's see if you two will get a chance at the $2,000. Phantom, and explain the rules. All right. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money 
gets a chance at the $2,000 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected songs with time, and the title is your category. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you risk? Ten. Ten dollars. Give me the title of this song. It's Rudy Valley's theme song. My time is your time is right. And they're on their way with $30, Groucho. As Fenneman says, you're on your way with $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 30 would you try? 25 25 What is the name of this song? It has time in the title. Apple Blossom Time. Apple Blossom Time is right. They're climbing. We have $55. You have $55. Here's your third question. How much of the 55 Fifty. Fifty dollars. They get along famously, don't they? <laughs> this song was made famous in the picture Casablanca. What's the title? As time goes by. Time goes by is right. They're really up there now. They have one hundred and five dollars. Man, you had me scared that time. I thought you were going to blow the duke. You got 105. Here's <laughs> your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 105 will you try? All of it. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. You're going to bet $105. What is the title of this song? Okay, Jerry. Time on my hands. Time on my hands is right. And they wind up with $210. Thanks, and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, don't go away. You may get a chance at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still dress. Dress. Perhaps our next couple will say it. Perhaps. Just before we went on the air, we selected a married man from the studio audience and a hotel housekeeper. And here they are, Mr. Phil Sonis and Mrs. Vera Isolde. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to You Bet Your Life, kids. And if you say the secret word, you divide $100 between you. It's a common word, something you see every day. A housekeeper and a husband, eh? Mrs. Uh, Vera Isoldi, uh, you're the housekeeper, huh? Yeah. Where are you from originally, uh, Vera? Uh, I was born on 12th Street, New York City. I'll New call York. you Vera, huh? That's right. Uh, New I York know, City. That's right, but I'll call you Vera anyway. <laughs> you have a charming accent, uh, Vera. What is it? Touch of English. Mr. Phil uh, Sons? Sonnes, yes. Sonnes. Uh, what kind of an accent is, is that you've got? That's huh? California. <laughs> what part of California do you come from originally? Chicago. I was under the impression California only extended as far east as Pennsylvania. <laughs> However, I understand they have an option on New England. <laughs> what sort of work do you do? I'm a house-to-house salesman for the Kelligan Software Service Operation. You sell houses, you say, from house to house? No, I sell soft water. Sounds like a pretty soft job to me. <laughs> Vera, let's get back to you. I'll, I'll return to you in a moment. Here. Don't think you've heard the last of this soft water. <laughs> You're a housekeeper, you say, Vera? Uh, yes. Where do you keep house? The Flamingo in Nevada. Keep house Las for Vegas a flamingo? Huh? You mean you run a birdcage? <laughs> no. What is the flamingo? It's the most beautiful hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, Las Vegas. Oh, a squirrel cage, huh? <laughs> sure, you've got me all confused. What does this menagerie look like? 
we have wonderful grounds and a very, very nice casino. Was what? that big casino or little casino? <laughs> what, what is the casino? Well, it's uh, where the guests come to gamble. Wiped out is what we call it. <laughs> Do you get any free shots at the roulette table? There, there? I, don't, I don't gamble. I don't understand gambling. That doesn't stop the other people in Las Vegas. <laughs> you say you don't gamble at all? You don't understand it? What's a double six in craps? Boxcar. <laughs> I see. You don't understand gambling, but you understand you understand railroading. Is that it? <laughs> now, Vera, has anything unusual ever happened in, in your casino? Like somebody winning? <laughs> well, I've passed through sometimes and heard quite a noise because. Uh, the people have uh, won the jackpot. What is the jackpot? Well, it's slot machines, I believe. And You're when not they... so certain now, as you are. Well, I don't understand very much about it, but I know some of them have put some money in and out comes the, out comes out the comes jackpot, the as they say it. <laughs> out comes the proprietor and fixes the machine so no money will ever come out again. <laughs> Where do, you, where do you live in Las Vegas? Well, the management uh, gives me a room and bath. <laughs> I understand the room, but who gives you the bath? <laughs> the manager, eh? That's a very old joke. That's a very old manager, too. <laughs> A young manager. Oh. <laughs> in that case, you take a shower. Yeah. Now, Mr. Sunnis, uh, you might as well wake up. Do you... Uh, <laughs> tell us about this job you do, this soft water swindle well, that you... Uh... <coughs> it's a matter of going house to house and trying to sell the housewives on the advantages of all the soft water services that they have to available to them. And just what are they? Well, there's mostly Kelly Culligan software service. That's the one I'm associated with. That's double talk again, huh? <laughs> do you help your wife with the housework? Occasionally. How much do you help your wife? About as much as other husbands. <laughs> you ever wonder what those other husbands are doing in your house? Eh? <laughs> How long have you been married, Phil? About ten years now. Now, how'd you meet your wife? Well, again, it gets back to the soft water business. I was a house-to-house What's sales... the name of it? The Culligan Soft Water. <laughs> rang the doorbell, and this very irate young lady came to the door. She was very much provoked, and her hair was in shambles. But shortly after I got in through... Shambles? In shambles? <laughs> well, is that near there? <laughs> when did she get her hair back, huh? <laughs> Well, uh, after I got through telling her about my product, she threw her arms around me, kissed me, and we were, the next night we had a date, and I was able to explain to her the advantage of soft water. Is that the customary reaction you get? If you use the proper approach, it's the customary reaction. Do you need somebody to wipe the other side of the street? Maybe 
Maybe we could combine. I could use hard water across the street, huh? <laughs> well, Vera, I've made up my mind, and I'm flying to Las Vegas in the morning on my flamingo. But right now, let's see if you can clean up in the battle for the $2,000 question. You've got to work together as a team and run your $20 into more than the other couples to get a chance at the big question. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Phantom is going to remind our listeners. The Scottish war bride and her husband won $210. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You select the colors of flowers as your category. All right, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Five. <laughs> All right, what color is a gardenia? White. White is correct. Now they have $25, Groucho. Well, I should say white is right. Now you got $25. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 25? Fifteen. $15. What color is a daffodil? Yellow. That's right. They're on the way, they have $40. All right, you've got $40. And here's your third question. How much of the 40? 30 $80. What color is a poinsettia? Uh, uh, red. red. Red is correct. They're climbing. They have $70 now. All right, you got $70, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 70 Shoot the moon. What color is lilac? Purple. Purple is right. And they wind up with $140. Thanks, and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. I will soon know who gets the chance at the $2,000 question. Friends, you'll find a DeSoto Plymouth dealer ready and eager to serve you no matter where you drive. I'm driving my friends a distraction. Like to come along, Fenneman? Well, I'll go as far as the nearest DeSoto Plymouth dealer, Groucho. I don't want you any further, Fenneman. <laughs> well, that's where I know there's expert factory-trained mechanics who give your car and my car the same watchful care a mother gives a baby. Did you ever try to burp at a soda? <laughs> Expert mechanics work with factory-designed and approved tools and equipment to give you the best service job you can get, no matter what the make of your car. So visit him the very first thing tomorrow morning. Now, won't that look pretty, all those people driving around in their pajamas? <laughs> all right, Fenneman, who's ahead in the battle for the $2,000 question? Well, the Scottish couple are ahead with $210. And the secret word is still dress. We invited some glass blowers and some movie stuntmen to the program tonight, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected glass blower Richard Seaman and stuntman Bob Morgan. And here they are. Gentlemen, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, boys, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mr. Uh, Richard Seaman. Yeah. You're a glass blower, is that right? That's right. Well, blow me down. Where are you from? Kansas City, Missouri. Mr. Uh, Morgan. Uh, Bob Morgan? Uh, you're, the, you're the stuntman, huh? Yes, I am. How's tricks? I don't do tricks. I do stunts. Well, how stunts? Huh? <laughs> where, where are you from, Bob? Mount Carmel, Illinois. Pretty sticky place, isn't it? <laughs> where, where do you do your glass blowing? Uh, I don't, Mr. Seaman. At the Glasscraft Company. The Glasscraft, huh? Is there anything like the Criscraft? Uh, <laughs> That's a boat. That's a boat, huh? Well, <laughs> this is a boat glass blowing. We're talking about Newt. <laughs> so, what do you do in your job? Well, we take molten glass and on the end of a blow iron and form it into different shapes like uh, perfume bottles or television tubes. What's your most popular item? Uh, the television tubes. They're in most demand right now. Why is that? Well, they're scarce and everybody wants them. Everybody wants them? For <laughs> there. Not people who are employed in radio. <laughs> Have you ever had the hiccups while blowing a light bulb? <laughs> And all you got were percolator tops? And... <laughs> Let's get back to you, stuntman. Just what, what do you do in your job? 
Well, I... Double actors and stars in the business. You mean double actors. Whenever they uh, have a hazardous stunt that an actor can't perform or shouldn't perform, why, they call on a stuntman to do it. You mean if there's something an actor won't do, they hire you for the job? Uh, yes, that's right. I don't see how you make any money. Huh? <laughs> I didn't think there was anything an actor wouldn't do. <laughs> now, how much would you charge me to jump off a 100-foot cliff? Oh, about $10 a foot. Well, that's cheap enough. All you have is two feet, huh? <laughs> how much would you charge me to jump off a, off a curb? I don't jump from curbs. Well, how do you get across the street? <laughs> how do you manage a double for a star and keep the audience from uh, getting wise? Well, they generally select you because of your physical resemblance to the star. They keep our back to the camera, profile, so forth, and keep our face out of the camera as much as possible. In many cases, the audience has their back to the picture, too, you know. <laughs> Our listeners would like to know how you do some of these stunts. For example, say you jump off a 500-foot cliff. Uh, how do you manage it? Well, ordinarily, they will uh, put a parallel about 10 feet below the top of the cliff. And a stuntman will jump to the parallel, and they'll cut away to a long shot of a dummy flying through space and landing. Do they ever get confused? <laughs> Not yet. Now, Glassblower, are you getting the jitters listening to all this mayhem? No, I have How did you get to be a Glassblower? Well... Did you start off to school one morning, twirling your books and say, when I grow up, I'm going to be a Glassblower, <laughs> and nobody's going to stop me? That was the last thing I ever thought it would be, just looking for a job and... <laughs> well, you went someplace where they were blowing glass? And, uh, yes. Uh... And they asked you if you had any experience? And you lied, huh? That's right. <laughs> How do you blow glass? Do you chew up old milk bottles and puffs? No, we take uh, molten glass and uh, we make different uh, articles out of it. After you get it on the end of this uh, blowpipe, uh, it's about four or five feet long. Why well, you can blow it into different shapes? Or can you can you uh, control the uh, shape of the? Oh yes, things any, to come. Any shape you want. You can. Huh? Mm -hmm. Well, I know what shape I want, but I don't know whether you can do it. I mean, <laughs> Now, what happens after the glass is shaped? Uh, we anneal it. I, I beg your pardon. It's annealed. It's, it's anneal? I thought it was a television tube. <laughs> no, it's anneal. A-N-N-E-A-L. You don't have to spell it. All the kids are in bed by now. <laughs> what has anneal got to do with all this? Is it, is it a live eel? No, it's not anneal. It's anneal. You know, we can be sued by Abbott and Costello over there. <laughs> I think this guy's blown his top. I better humor him. What is, what is the eel doing in your blowpipe? <laughs> well, by that I mean, anneal, you take the glass over to a furnace and you take the strains and stress out of it. That's anneal. Boy, you're a whiz at clarifying things. <laughs> All right, now let's see how a glassblower and a stuntman make out in You Bet Your Life. You beat the other couples, and you'll get a chance at the $2,000 DeSoto Plymouth question. I can't tell you how much the other two couples won, but Fenneman's offstage remind our listeners. The Scottish war bride and her husband are still ahead with $210. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You select the tools of the trade as your category. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 are you going to try? 
How much do we got? You have twenty dollars. Oh. You may wind up with twenty. Ten dollars. All right. Who uh, who would use a mortar and a pestle? Uh, either a chemist or a scientist. Well, I think that's right. It's a pharmacist, but I think you had it right. Huh? We're on the way with thirty dollars, Bracho. All right. You're running along. You got thirty dollars. Remember, you're going for two thousand dollars tonight. Now, how much of the thirty will you try? Twenty. Twenty dollars. Who would use a stick and a press? Printer, for one thing. That's right, a printer is right. That's why they ask $50. Here's your third question. How much of the 50? Talk it up now. <laughs> 25. How much? 25. $25. Who would use a transit and a plumb bob? Uh, a surveyor. A surveyor is correct. <laughs> now they have $75. All right, $75 is your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 75? $50. Who would use a scalpel and a suture? Doctor. A doctor or a surgeon is right. And they wind up with $125. And that means the Scotch war bride and her husband with $210 get the chance to DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question. Courteous service at a price that's fair. That's the creed of every DeSoto Plymouth dealer. When you drive in for service at the sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer, you can count on this. Expert mechanics working with factory-approved tools and equipment will give your car the careful attention you want it to have. They'll do a better job on your car in a shorter time, and that means money in your pocket. It also means a car that will give you faithful, economical service for miles and miles. So next time your car needs service, stop in and get acquainted with a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. And here's the Scotch War Bride and her husband, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question, Groucho. All right, kids, here's a chance to make you the two richest people in Scotland. Here we go for $2,000. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so think carefully and please no help from the audience. Here it is. President Truman recently made a cross-country trip to participate in a dedication at a great new dam in the Columbia River. For $2,000, what is the name of this important dam? Okay, what's the answer you two have decided upon? Grand Coulee. That's right. That's right, you win $2,000. You had the right answer, so you win $2,000. What are you going to do with all that money? She's going to do it. What are you going to do with it, uh, I'd like to... uh... To give uh, my husband's mother some of it, help her out. She's been so wonderful to me. <laughs> Couldn't you help her out for less money than that? <laughs> All right, you win $2,000 plus $210 in the quiz. You really cleaned up tonight. Congratulations from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. You bet your life.
Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You Bet Your Life. Presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $1,000. Good night, folks, and remember... Just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Folks, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Don't wait for a rainy day to check your windshield wipers. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. Goldberg. Molly Goldberg is forever surrounding herself with the lives of other people. And as a result, she often finds herself a little over her head in their affairs. Right now, a woman she befriended, Oriane, is the center of one of Molly's little schemes. In the first place, young Dr. Cater is in love with Oriane. And in the second place, Oriane doesn't want to have anything to do with him on that basis. In the third place, Molly got Oriane into the chicken business with Edward Way, a man just released from prison. But a little problem in human prejudice is coming up. Rosalind, no. What, Ma? Uh, excuse me, buddy. Hey, Al. Rosalind, are you, are you going up? I wanted to ask Lori and who she went to see. What hotel people she went to see, who she contacted, and who she spoke to. Did she went to the Brookside? Did she went to the Mountain View? Did she go to the Orchard House? And did she go to, 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 to the Colonial? Because I'm making the list now of all the people and all the hotel names. I should know what I'm doing, and I don't want to make duplicates. All right, Mom. All right, don't say all right, and then, then, then not do it. Do it immediately. All right. Because I have to know what I'm doing, please, if you don't mind. Mrs. Goldberg, here, yeah, Dr. Taylor offered her a position in New York. Why did she go into business with Mr. Way? Mr. Way of all people. But uh, how do you spell Brookside? It's one word or two words, buddy? It's two words, hyphenated. Hyphenated? How to spell it? See? You don't. You just put a line in between Brooks and Side. Mm. Like this. Brookside. Yeah. Mm, Brookby, uh... spelling cup to make a capital. Yeah. Uh... Two O's, somebody two O's. Look, we'd hyphenated. Thought that I get in Brookside. Are you going to be active in the business, Mrs. Goldberg? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to list together all the hotels, the Brookside, Orchard House, the Colonial, all the Indian houses that buy chickens for the summer when they have borders in the summer. So she'll get the names now. So then they can contract for the spring, you see. She went to see some people today. Did she get any business? I don't know. I, I wasn't home when she returned. Why a woman has to try to be a man, I don't know. Unless, of course, you have to. 
If I had my life to live all over again, I'd be a clinging vine and nothing else, believe me. A woman was born to be taken care of, Mrs. Goldberg. Modern civilization to the contrary or not. Give me a loving husband and a good provider, and you can have the careers, all the careers in the world, including the chicken business, if I may say so. If Dr. Cater's interest in Orion is as deep as I think it is, why, love can be developed, too. You don't always have to fall in it. Ma, yes, Ma. Uh-huh. Yes, I don't think Orion feels too well. I don't think she feels too well. No. So what's the matter? I don't know. She, she didn't tell me. You go up, Ma. She said that she said she said she said something. What do you mean? She feels sick? Oh, she's upset about something. What? She didn't say, Ma. It must be emotional, Mrs. Goldberg. She's a very delicate and high-strung woman with a good cultural background. Should I go up? No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go up. I'll go up, Brady. Rosalie, take that list and then and check check over the list. See if I've got the spelling wrong. To fix the spelling. All right, Maybe Sam will come home. He'll type out the list. All right. I'll, I'll go up. Uh-huh. Uh, are you going to eat soon, Mrs. Goldberg? Uh, I'll be right down. Your mother is going to have a hand full, Rosalie. She'll be all right. Why do you think Orianne doesn't want any favors from Dr. Cater? I don't know. I... I always forget your age, Rosalie. Well, I'm no baby. At your age, I was no baby either. At your age, I understood things far beyond my age also. Oh, Paul? Ma. Where's Ma? She's upstairs. Orianne is upset. Who is upset? It's nothing, Paul. She just... I said who? Mrs. Leland, Orianne, is upset about About her. what? Well, that's what Mommy's finding out. I- I'll take your coat, Carl. Was Dr. Cater over? Did he say something to her? I don't think so. Do you approve of her decision to go into business with Mr. Way? It's not up to me to approve or disapprove. She's not my daughter, neither is she my wife. You will agree, though, she would have been much better off if she had taken the position offered by Dr. Cater. It's not for me to agree or disagree. But you will admit, for a woman of her delicacy, a position would please, be... Please, Bertie, please. I have plenty of my own business to think about. And I'm sure you would be, too, if you would mind your own. Why, you don't like me, Mr. Goldberg, I'll never know. If you're interested, uh, I'll tell you. Uh, tell me, yes, tell uh. me. Yes, Mr. Goldberg, I'd like to know. After all, I'm accepting your hospitality. My wife takes care of the distribution of invitations in this family, not me. My wife takes care that I should never be lonesome, not me. My wife sees to it that my nerves... I'll never relax, not me. But you still haven't told me, Mr. Goldberg, why you don't like me. I, I, I never heard such a thing. Such a thing I never heard. So could you put food in every mile like Rosalie get me the mountain view as well? That young cabal speaks to the manager. Such a thing I never expected. Such a latitude never. Oh, see? Yes, Jane. Oh. Didn't you show me? Am I so invisible? Hello, darling, sweetheart. Thank you. Are you getting it for me, Rosalie? I'll call them, but what happened, Mom? What happened, Mrs. Goldberg? There's a limit. A limit to everything. A person can stand so much and no more. I'm not going to sit by, not me. Rosalind, you don't stand for what, what happened, Ma? Molly, what is it? How, how long is a person to be punished for that? Molly, what happened? They insulted Orianne. Who insulted Orianne? The Brookside. How? How did they insult her? Rosalind, please don't say my number, please. Right. Imagine, Jake. Imagine, Jake. They yeah. said, 
The manager. The, the manager of the Brookside Hotel. He, he, he wouldn't deal with Orion because she was in business with Mr. Wade. <laughs> Can you imagine? he was in jail? Is that the reason, no. huh? Rosie hanged. What do you mean, Rosie hanged? Why should Rosie I hang? I said hanged. Rosie hanged at once. Why should Rosie hang? Do you hear me? Hanged. Hanged. Listen to me, Molly. Why should Rosie hang? Listen to me, Molly. Orion was offered a job at Dr. Cato. Let her take it, and she won't have to be insulted. That's not the point. Then what's the point? Mr. Ray, for reasons of his own, made a mistake from Jake. Some mistake. A mistake, yes. yes. a mistake. He stole the money of thousands of innocent people. Whatever. He was convicted. He went to prison and for three years. I'm talking to my wife. I'm only saying for three years he sat behind bars. No, behind bars. He lived in a room like a wild animal taking orders and now having, <laughs> not having freedom to breathe without express permission of the duly constituted authority. Yes. Birdie, I'm talking to my wife. But what did Birdie say? She, she said for three years he sat behind bars. He lived in a room like a wild animal taking orders and not having the freedom to breathe without express permission of the duly constituted authority. That's what she said. Yes. That's what she said. And he paid the price of society. He paid the price of society. He paid the price of society. And now he's free. He's free. And he's free and he came back into the world. And now people around here are trying to make Lassenbury a prison for him again. They wouldn't talk to him and they won't buy chickens from him. They don't give him a chance to become a decent, ordinary person again, a citizen of the United States of America. That's his business. And it's my business and it's your business and it's everybody's business. What can you do? Oh, I'll do, Jake, dear. Then do and do it alone. That's all I'm asking of you, Molly. Yes. Do it alone. Yes. Alone, alone. Yes, I will do it and I will do it alone and alone and alone. Yes. I will do it alone. I can make these blind people understand that a person doesn't lose his humanity. Molly. person at his toes. Just because he made a mistake. A mistake is not irrevocable. Pretty please. Prison is bad enough. Molly. Prison is bad enough without being made worse by what happens in a man that's out. If a man doesn't get a chance, then there's something wrong. That's all. That's all. That's all. Something's radically wrong, Mr. Goldberg. A man deserves a chance. Pretty please. Molly, I said that's enough. That's all right. Stop it. That's all right. I mean, something is wrong. If something is wrong in the town that I live in, then it's my duty and it's my privilege to make it right. And I'll make it right. Rosalie, get me the book tight. When Molly feels the crusader's fire, there's no stopping her. And even Jake knows this. But what can Molly do against the prejudice that people have against this man released from prison? The Johnson Wax Program with Philip McGee and Molly. Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Love Is. of company. No one denies that work is man's greatest need and almost his best friend. But that doesn't mean unnecessary work. Take your floors, for example. You could go on scrubbing your linoleum floors all your life, and what would it get you? 
Well, an aching back and red hands for yourself and ruined linoleum in the bargain. So you wisely protect your floors with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Saving yourself unnecessary work, keeping your linoleum always bright and shining, making it last longer. And with the hours of time you save with glow coat, you can do important things that perhaps you've had to neglect. Reading, playing with your children, seeing your friends. Johnson's Glow Coat saves work because it's self-polishing. It needs no rubbing or buffing. Look for the familiar red and yellow Glow Coat package at your dealer. attended the piano concert last night, and since then our hero has been in an artistic daze. The idea of learning piano has opened new and even more wistful vistas to him. And here on their way to the music store to arrange for piano lessons, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Ah, but I'll be pretty popular at parties when I get so I can really slap a sign way around. Oh, Yeah. You thought you'd be pretty popular at picnics when you took up the mandolin, too. Oh, well, But I... who was it that was always sent back home for more potato salad? <laughs> well, piano's different. It's got class. Do you realize what it's going to cost you to take piano lessons? Oh, what I save on barbers will pay for the lessons. How so? Hmm, did you ever see a musician with a haircut? <laughs> Come on, here's the music store. Yes, sir? Something in musical instruments, sir? We're having a special today on sweet potatoes, $1.95. A two and a quarter with gravy. <laughs> this store arranged for piano lessons, bud? Only with the sale of a new piano, sir. Oh, well, we could use a new one. What do you got in the way of pianos, bud? Stool. Ooh. But uh, we could move them to one side if you didn't mind standing up to play. Now, look, McGee. We're not buying any new piano. We haven't paid for the one we got yet. Okay, now, look, bud. How about a book on piano playing for a beginner? Oh, certainly, sir. Here's one right here entitled... Cantatas for the Kiddies, or How to Make a Louse Out of Strauss. <laughs> okay, wrap it up. Oh, but McGee, that's for children. You don't want I to... I ain't, Rob. I got to start at the beginning, ain't I? I don't expect to be on a par with Fritz Chrysler overnight. Uh, Chrysler is a violinist, sir. Didn't he play the piano? Uh, no, sir. Oh, then I am on a par with Chrysler. <laughs> that's encouraging. You're also on a par with Gene Autry's horse. He can't play the piano either. <laughs> Uh, here's your book, sir. Uh, Two dollars. Okay, bud. Here you are. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I sincerely hope, sir, that you get along nicely with your music. I, myself, am by way of being a composer, you know. Oh, <laughs> how interesting. What have you composed, sir? I wrote an impressionistic little thing for string ensemble. It was a descriptive piece about a man waiting outside the maternity ward. Ah. <laughs> oh, that's a kind of a cute idea, but... Yes. <laughs> What'd you call it? Hubby Lobby. <laughs> Ah, you know, Molly, I got a feeling this marks a turning point in my life. You've had so many turning points, you'll soon be known as Farling Fibber McGee. Oh. Well, hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. What you doing? Well, McGee just decided to take piano lessons, Mr. Oldtimer. That's so. I come from a musical family myself, kid. Oh. Papa was a, a surgeon, and just to relax, he used to play tunes on his songs. <laughs> I'll bet his patients love that. We never knew. Trees don't talk. Oh. 
Oh, he was a tree surgeon, huh? Yep. Spent four years as an intern in a lumber yard. <laughs> I had a cousin that was a tree surgeon. Specialized in optical work on bird's eye maple. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it. You play any other instrument, Johnny? <laughs> used to. When I was wooing Molly here, I used to play the mandolin on canoe rides, but she made me give it up. What for, daughter? Because I got tired of doing all the paddling, that's why. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's pretty good, too, daughter. But that ain't the way I... Uh, by the way, you read music, Johnny? <laughs> I did once, and I can pick it up again pretty fast. Why, when I was a kid, I studied for a long, long time under the famous Professor Ware. Long under Ware McGee, I was known as. <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny, but... Long under Ware McGee, the mighty mucky muck of the metronome, making mugs, a mediocre musical mucks muddling through a mess of monotonous medleys, making millions marvel at the minor melodies made into magnificent masterpieces by the miraculous movements of my magic mitt, nipping many a maestro as I modulated from March Militaire into Minuets and G, and that's the story of Long Underwear McGee. <laughs> from the neighbors complaining about the noise. I can't stop now, Molly. I'm just getting the hang of it. Get the hang of it, huh? Why, it'll be years before you can even play chopsticks without getting a nasty note from the Chinese ambassador. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm catching on pretty fast. The only thing that bothers me is these pedals underneath. I don't know which is the brake and which is the clutch. Maybe it's... McGee, huh? Mrs. Uppington is at the door. Oh, she would be. Well, give the old war horse some hay and slap her into a stall. 
After all, you know, she's the one who gave us the tickets to the concert. Oh, yeah. Come in, Abigail, dear. Oh, how do you do, my dear? And how do you do, Miss... Well, I didn't know you were a pianist, Mr. McGee. Didn't you, Anna? Stop And I dearly love piano music. Oh, tell me, do you know Schubert's unfinished symphony? No, I don't, Uppy. I started to add that to my repertoire once. And then I thought, shucks, I thought, why learn that till it's finished? Then I can play the whole thing. <laughs> so I never took a... Oh, my, how amusing. That <laughs> killed me, too. <laughs> I studied piano myself, you know. Oh. Oh, yes, my instructor always said the nicest things about my contrapuntal bravura. Oh. Did you slap his sassy face, Abigail? <laughs> Mrs. McGee. What do you have to say about your piano playing? Oh, I was a very brilliant pupil. I won scholarship after scholarship. Why, the moment I would enter one conservatory, they'd give me a scholarship and send me somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very broadening experience. (laughs) Yes, so I see. I always said they made those piano stools too narrow. Say, incidentally, Abigail, we want to thank you for your tickets to the concert. Yeah. We enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, well, personally, I thought the guy was pretty high hat up. But he, in one number, when he got going pretty hot, I tossed four bits up on the stage, and all I got was a dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you get along nicely with your practicing, Miss McGee. Oh, uh, may I try your piano? Oh, sure, go ahead, Uppy. It ain't in very good shape. We, we've used it so little, some of the keys have even turned black. <laughs> Let me see now. I ah yes. Oh, heavenly days, McGee. <laughs> Why she can give you the lost card with knots in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fair country piano playing, Uppy. <laughs> what was the name of that number? That is a little folk song I picked up in Brittany, Miss McGee. Oh. It is called Trappez-moi, mon père, oui, à la mesure. Meaning what? Beat me, daddy, eight to the ball. <laughs> <laughs> And you were going to show her how to play the piano. <laughs> you wait, I'll show you. Well, wait till my teacher gets here. Your teacher? Yep, I looked up a piano teacher in the classified directory. She ought to be here any minute now. One, two, three, four, five, four, three. One. Hey, Molly, what's an octave? An octave, dearie, is eight notes. It is? Yes. Remember that dirty octave we got from the piano company last month? <laughs> Molly, I was just passing by when I heard you dusting the piano, so I thought I'd drop in and suggest that little Johnson's wife... Oh, no, no, I wasn't dusting the piano, Mr. Wilcox. That was me, Harlow. I was practicing my piano lesson. (laughs) You taking piano lessons? (laughs) Well, laugh if you want to, but I've started this thing and I'm going through it. Well, let me know if you get stuck on any technicalities. Why, Mr. Wilcox, are you a musician? Oh, in a way. I'm an expert in domestic harmony. For instance, I keep harping on the fact that housework is much less treble if you take sharp measures in your flat to bar dust and dirt with Johnson's wax. Oh. (laughs) Johnson's wax gives you, as a matter of course, 
the key to a better scale of living. Oh. oh. So go over to your nearest dealer and see the man at the counterpoint to Johnson's Wax as the major product of its kind. Do it today. You know what you deserve for a sales talk like that. Sure, Molly, but it won't hurt because I have a pillow stuffed in my pants. See? <laughs> oh, you saw it coming, eh? Yeah, I call this my pun cushion. Oh. See you later, folks. <laughs> See the man at the counter point to Johnson's way. Of all the truth. As the barber says to the guy that was just getting out of the chair, what'll he think of? Next? <laughs> Oh, well. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. <laughs> Ain't this a panic, Molly? <laughs> Here we've had the piano all this time, and I never knew it allow that now that I was a musician. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Hard to play piano and talk at the same time. <laughs> I never knew it now that I was a musician. Shall I say it? That's right. That's nothing. My grandfather was 80 years old before he discovered he was not so generic. I thought he ate meat. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one and a half, seven. Now, what's the matter? My thumbs, they're too short. Maybe if I put thimbles on them, they'll be able to... Oh, dear, I hope that isn't another neighbor to complain about your practicing. Come in. Uh, excuse me, please. Is Mr. McGee living here, please? You betcha, sis. I'm him. Well, I'm the teacher. You're calling me out for some music lesson. Oh, oh yes. Come right in, dear. <laughs> Come right in. Here's your little pupil right here. Pupil, here's teacher. <laughs> Hi, sis. Let's get started right away. What do you say, huh? No, certainly. Uh, what kind of piano are you wishing to learn, please? A classic, jittle bogging, conservative, or boogie-woogie? <laughs> All of them. I want to be a finished pianist as soon as possible. That's funny. That's exactly what I want you to be. No, you ain't got the right attitude about this, Molly. Here I am about to bring art and culture into our drab lives, and what do you do? Oh, I just stand here like little Audrey and laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> Okay, okay, but I say I'm going to learn piano, and I'm going through with it. Now, look, uh, Mrs., uh, what's her name? Well, my married name is being Highwater. Oh, what's Highwater. your first name, dearie? Helen. <laughs> That's read it. I'm going to learn piano in spite of it. <laughs> now, come on, sis, give it the teach. Uh, first, they're sitting on the piano stool. Relax. Here, don't go to sleep, dearie. Just relax. Uh, ben is placing the fingers on the keys like this. Hmm, such interesting hands you got here. Uh, what you mean, sis? Well, I'm also being our fortune teller, Mr. McGee. Oh. Yes, uh, from the lines on the hands, I am telling you our past, present, and future. <laughs> 
Ed Parvis, since from this line here, I am seeing that you are naturally very domesticated. Oh, why, she's wonderful, Uh McGee. That's where you cut yourself with a can opener. (laughs) Go on, sis. What else do my hands say? Hi, it's looking like bad news. There is something about a financial difficulty in the near future. There is, huh? <laughs> Shuck, that won't be anything. Uh, <clears throat> incidentally, how much you charge for a piano lesson? It's one that was for a half hour. Oh, oh heavenly days. Why, that's Oh, all... no, you don't, sis. That's too much. I won't pay it. Sorry you had your visit here for nothing, but the deal's all off. Shall I call you a taxi cab, dearie? Thank you, no. My taxi is waiting outside. I told him I'll be right out. What? You told the tax... How did you know? I told my own fortune before I left home. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) The King's Men sing Old Rockin' Chair. learning the mandolin? I should say not. Not. When I took up the study of the mandolin, I sat at the feet of one of the great masters. Oh, and what did he do? He kicked me. <laughs> so I taught myself. 
just like I'm going to teach myself the piano. What's the idea of irritating the whole neighborhood with your infernal rum-titty-bump, rum-titty-bump? I ain't going rum-titty-bump, rum-titty-bump. All I'm doing is... Stop it! Stop it, for goodness sake! Oh, this eternal Doremi has me frantic. Oh, you mean this? Uh... Oh, Rick! Oh, for goodness sakes, Mr. Gildersleeve, quiet. Well, I'm a music lover. <laughs> you a music lover what? A Spanish serenader <laughs> That's a laugh, Gildersleeve <laughs> Why, you wouldn't know the old oaken bucket If somebody stuck your head in it And I think they oughta Is that so? Yes, that's so You're a hard man, McGee <laughs> And by George, this time you've gone too far Well, he knows the way back <laughs> You've trifled with me once too often, McGee. If I had a tape measure, I'd beat you within an inch of your life. Oh, yeah? Don't get gay with me, you big blimp. I'll let you have it. And between me and me, me and you, you could use a little. Between me and a little what? A little it. Now listen, boys. Here, let's not quarrel. You're getting all mixed up here, the both of you. McGee's piano studies won't last long, Mr. Gildersleeve. It's just a passing fancy with him. It's never no such a thing. I started learning piano, and I'm going through with it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, little chum, uh, let's get together on this, huh? <laughs> okay, Gil, let's get together. You sit next to me, and yeah. we'll both go. No, no, stop it! Stop it! What I meant was, can't we make a deal? How about selling me the piano? I'll pay any price that isn't downright fantastic. Oh, we can't sell it, Mr. Gildersleeve. It isn't ours. Yes. Uh, whose is it? Wistful Vista Piano Companies. Still owe a few back payments on it. Sure. Uh, back payments, eh? Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. As a matter of fact, the president of the piano company is a very good friend of mine, McGee. Oh. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Well, if you excuse me, I have to go see a man about a dog. <laughs> well, so long, Gildy. Goodbye, Fido. <laughs> Fido, what do you mean by that? Search me, dearie. But look, now that you've begun to use this piano, hadn't you better finish paying for it? Oh, they ain't going to make trouble after all these years. <laughs> Maybe I'd better call them up, though, and straighten it out. Give me the phone. Here you are. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me a whistle of this... Oh, is that you, Mert? No, no. Hey, Mert, give me a whistle of this to 9999, will you? Thanks. Hello, is this 9999? Huh? Oh, what number is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, Mert. Hey, Mert, what's the matter with you? I called 9999 and you give me 6666. Huh? Oh, I see. Well, never mind. Thanks, anyway. How'd you happen to give you 6666 instead of 9999? She says they got her so busy she's standing on her head. Well, I better get on with my practice. Well, as Fibber McGee says when he heard somebody knocking at the door, who's that? Search me. Come in. We're from the Wistful Vista Piano Company, Doc. Come for the piano. It's Reaper Set, buddy. Oh, now, wait a minute. 
You can't do this to me. A friend of mine is a good friend of the president of the piano company. He was going to speak to him about them back payments. He did. Uh-oh. Gildersleeve. Why, that dirty look. Now, now, look, fellas. I'm studying how to play this thing, see? You don't want me to grow up in ignorance of the finer things in life, do you? You don't want to stunt my character by denying me the cultural advantage. Grab that end of the box, darling. Okay, come on. Hey, it won't go through that door. Hurry, get it in here. Well, we've had the door weather strip since we bought the piano, boys. You can't get it out without damaging the door. And if you make one mark on that door, I'll sue the piano company for breach of plenty. See? <laughs> He's got it, Charlie. Oh, no, he ain't, Percy. That's a big window over there. We can get it out that way. Oh, Open it up. Okay, okay. Oh, well, there goes your musical career, dearie, right out the window. Oh, yeah. Well, they can't do this to me. Drop that piano, you big palooka. Oh, oh I didn't say it on my foot. Easy now, Charlie. Let's go through the window, okay? I got it, pussy. Oh, no, you don't. If you take that piano out of here, you'll have to take me with it. Okay. It's a deal, For your musical persistence. What you mean? You said you were going to go through with it, and you did. than your kitchen floor. It gets heavy traffic, wet and muddy feet track across it regularly, and it gets more than its share of things spilled on it. In fact, your kitchen floor might easily be called your problem floor if it weren't for Johnson's self-polishing blow coat. This easy-to-use floor polish has simply eliminated that problem altogether. First, because glow coat protects the linoleum against wear and bad weather, guards the linoleum surface against scratches and dirt penetration. Second, because glow coat makes a linoleum floor beautiful, makes it gleam and sparkle, keeps its colors like new. Third, because glow coat actually makes the linoleum last much longer. And fourth, because it saves you so much hard work. Johnson's glow coat needs no rubbing or buffing. Simply apply and let dry. And in 20 minutes, your floor gleams under its protective polish. Put glow coat on your next shopping list. Gildersleeve to get the best of a McGee. I'll say it does, dearie. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to leave now. 
Why? The Wistful Vista Piano Company warehouse always closes at six. Oh, okay, bud. Good night. Good night, all. sensational new auto polish. Whether your car is old or new, you can improve its appearance, increase its trade-in value, add to your pleasure of driving simply by giving it a car new beauty treatment. All of this at low cost and with very little work because car new both cleans and wax polishes at the same time in half the time it used to take. Write this down on your memo pad tonight. I want to wax polish my car with Johnson's car new, spelled C-A-R-N-U. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Not so many years ago, tomato soup and cream of tomato were unusual dishes, enjoyed very much, but not very often. Today, of all the soups in the world, tomato soup is the one most often served. Not because women have taken to making tomato soup frequently. No, on the contrary, few housewives ever attempted anymore. There's just one reason for tomato soup's popularity, and it is this. The magic, matchless flavor of Campbell's tomato soup. There's a lively verve, a dashing zest about this flavor that people take to at once and come back to and enjoy again and again. The first racy taste of it has a way of arousing a desire to eat. And yet there's a pleasant feeling of satisfaction when the last spoonful is gone. So this soup is a happy choice for the main dish at lunchtime or at supper, and it also is a fine way to start the day's main meal. Serve it sometimes, too, as cream of tomato, made with milk instead of water. You can always be sure that it will be received with pleasure, because this, of all soups, is the one people like to have most often, Campbell's tomato soup. Ladies and gentlemen, the railroad hour. Here comes our star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents one of the greatest of recent musicals, Carousel, by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II, starring Gordon McRae and his guest, the lovely Broadway star, Miss Patricia Morrison. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight in Carousel, I play the part of a carnival barker, Billy Bigelow. And lovely Patricia Morrison is the pretty little mill worker, Julie. 
We're in an amusement park, and it's spring. June is busting out all over, all over the meadow and the hill. But you're busting out of bushes and the romping river pushes every little wheel and wheels beside a mill. Wheels beside a mill. It's busting out all over. The feeling is getting so intense that the young Virginia creepers have been hogging the bejeepers out of all the morning glories on the fence. Because it's June. Because it's June. June, June, June. Just because it's June. June, June. I wondered if you'd be back for another ride in the carousel. You don't come around much. Oh, I've been here three times. I didn't realize you noticed me. I don't miss much. I guess you don't. I'm knocking off for supper now. Would you like to have some with me? Oh, I, I don't know if I should. Look, girls don't refuse Billy Bigelow's invitations. Come on. So, you've been here three times. Did you notice me? Yes. You... Got a boyfriend? No. Now, don't lie to me. I haven't anybody. I can have all the girls I want. You know that? I know, Mr. Bigelow. What do you know? That all the girls are crazy for you. They say I'm bad medicine for girls. <laughs> do they? Ain't you scared of me? Uh-uh. What's your name? Julie Jordan. Suppose I was to say to you that I'd marry you, Julie Jordan. You? Scares you, doesn't it? You... You wouldn't marry anyone like me, would you? Yes, I would. If I loved you. How do you know what you'd do if you loved me? Oh, I don't know how I'd know. I'd I just know, I guess. If I loved you, I again I would try to say. kid, Julie. Don't remember ever meeting a girl like you. You look up at me with that little kid face like, like it trusted me. I wonder what it'd be like to be in love with her. What? Uh, 
nothing. Still, I wonder. If I love you, time and again I would try to say, all I want you to fellow to marry anybody. Even if a girl was foolish enough to want me to, I... Well, I wouldn't. Wouldn't you, Billy? Wouldn't you? I'd leave him, Julie. He hasn't worked since you were married. Oh, it's not Billy's fault, Carrie. That carnival woman fired him because she didn't want a married man for a barker. And Billy doesn't know any trade. He doesn't know anything but carnival life. Last Monday, he hit me. Did you hit him back? No. I'd leave him. He thinks he can do whatever he likes just because he's Billy Biglow. Oh, he's a bad one, Julie. Oh, he isn't willingly or meaningly bad, Carrie. Why, after supper, when he stands out here and listens to the music from the carousel, something comes over him, and he's gentle. You see... He's only unhappy because he isn't working. That's really why he hit me on Monday. Fine reason. Beats his wife because he isn't working. I tell you, he's a bad one, Julie. Oh, Carrie. What the hope of wondering if he's good or if he's bad or if you like the way he wears his hat. Oh, what the hope of wondering if he's good or if he's bad, he's your fair and you love him. That's all there is to that. I may tell you that the ending will be sad, and now's the time to break and run away. But The ending will be sad. He's your fellow, and you love him. There's nothing more to say. Something made him the way that he is. Well. 
by the fence, talking to that no-count sailor, Jigger. Yeah, he's been hanging around a lot lately. You better watch out for him, Julie. Jigger's been in a lot of trouble in this town. I know. I wonder what they're talking about. I tell you, Billy, it's a safe as selling cakes. The old guy will be carrying three or four thousand dollars again tonight. You walk along the waterfront by yourself with all that money. Well, you'd think he'd have somebody go with him. Ah, not him. I've been watching him for a week now. Now, you take your wife to the clam bake over on the island tonight, and then you and me can get lost for half an hour. It'll be a cinch. No, Jigger. I don't like it. Well, of course, if you got all the money you want. But I thought, seeing as how you're out of a job and you got a wife to support. Oh, and beat it, Jigger. Robbery isn't my racket. Okay, okay, suit yourself. Billy, uh, Carrie's in the house, and there's something I want to tell you alone. Okay, what is it? Well, it, it's just that... Well, it isn't easy to come right out with it. But you remember yesterday my head ached, and you asked me... Yes. Well, you see, uh, that's what it is. I'm going to have a baby... A baby? Yes, darling. A baby. My kid. My son. Oh, Julie. We'll name him Bill. My boy Bill, I will see that he's named after me. I will. My boy Bill, he'll be tall and as tough as a tree. We'll build like a tree. He'll grow with his hand held high and his feet planted firm on the ground. And you won't see nobody dare to try to boss him or toss him around. No pot-bellied, baggy-eyed bully will boss him around. Wait a minute. Could it be? What if he's a girl? What could I do for a girl? Me, a bum with no money. Oh, I'd like a girl, though. I can just hear myself bragging about her. My little girl, pink and white as peaches and cream is she. My little girl is up again as bright as girls are meant to be. Doesn't the voice pursue her? Many a likely lad. 
does what he can to her from her faithful dad. She has a few pink and white young fellows of two and three. But my little girl gets hungry every night And she comes home to me My little girl I gotta get ready before she comes I've gotta make certain that she won't be dragged up and slumped with a lot of bombs like me. She's gotta be sheltered and fed and dressed in the best that money can buy. I never knew how to get money, but I'll try by God, I'll try. Keep supper hot, Julie. I'll be back in a few minutes. Billy, where are you going? I won't be long. There's something I've got to tell Jigger. Turn to the second act of Carousel very shortly. The manufacture of steel with giant blast furnaces, flaming open hearth furnaces, glowing ingots, and huge rolling mills is a dramatic American industry. And so great is the output of steel in the United States that no other country in the world can even approach it. In fact, the furnaces of America make more steel in three months than can be made in any other country in the world in an entire year. If you were to visit any of our huge steel mills, you would find thousands of skilled men and strange and monstrous machines, all working to increase even more the production of steel. For steel is vital in expanding the productive capacity of the nation, essential to our national rearmament program. And if you were to visit a steel mill, another thing would soon be apparent, and that is the highly important role which the railroads play in steelmaking. For it is the railroads that bring raw materials to the steel plant. The coal, iron ore, limestone, and scrap steel coming from distant and varied sources. Thousands of tons every day. And it is the railroads which carry out each day thousands of tons of finished steel. And as this steel moves out into the avenues of American industry and defense, it again moves over the railroads to countless enterprises throughout the country for fabrication into the arms and machines needed for our daily life and for our defense. In order that the railroads may continue to serve the country's essential transportation demands, thousands of tons of steel are required each month for the building and repair of freight cars and locomotives. A vital part of the railroads' program of enlargement and improvement of their plant to meet increasing transportation needs depends on an adequate supply of steel. There is no way in which the same amount of steel can be used to such good advantage 
in increasing the effective transportation capacity of the United States as by adding to the freight car and locomotive supply of the railroads. And now for the second act of Carousel, starring Gordon McRae and his guest star, Patricia Morrison. It was a real nice you stay here with the crowd, Julie. I have an errand to do. What errand? Where are you going? Now, don't start asking questions. I won't be long. Stop, thief! Don't! Don't I have to live? I... Julie... You know this man? He tried to rob me. Yes, I knew him. He was my husband. Come on, Billy. Huh? Who are you? I'm the star keeper, Billy. See my stars there on the clothesline? I've just been dusting some of them before I hang them out for the night. Where am I? You're in the backyard of heaven. There's the gates over there. The pearly gates? No. The pearly gates are in front. Those are the back gates. They're just mother of pearly. All right. Let's go in. Look here, son. You're in a pretty tight corner. Fact is, you haven't done enough good in your life to get into heaven, not even through the back door. But you might still make it... If you tried hard enough, hard, you could go back down to earth for one day and do something real fine for someone. You might do your little daughter some good. A daughter? It's a girl. My baby. She's not a baby anymore. She's 15 years old. How could she be 15 years old? I just came from there. A year on earth is just a minute up here, Billy. Tell me. Is she happy? No, she isn't, Billy. She's a lot like you. That's why I figured you're the one who could help her the most. Look down there, Billy. I see some kids. Is that her? The little one with the straw-colored hair? Pretty, isn't she? My little girl. Look. All the kids are running away from her. Listen. My father bought me a pretty dress. My father would have bought me a pretty dress, too. He was a barker on a carousel. Your father was a thief. Oh, I know you. <laughs> I hate all of you. <laughs> I want to see her. If I want her to see me, will she? Yes, dear. Little girl? Louise? Who, who are you? How do you know my name? Somebody told me you lived here. I, I knew your father. My father? I heard what that little whippersnapper said, and it ain't true. None of it's true. It is true. Every kid in town knows it. What What does your mother say about, about him? Oh, she's told me a lot of fairy stories about how he died in San Francisco. And she's always saying what a handsome fellow he was. Well, he, 
He was. He was the handsomest fellow around here. Look, I want to give you a present. It's a star. I stole it. My mother doesn't let me take presents. I, I gotta go in. Darling, please, I, I want to help you. Let go my arm. I want to make you happy. Take this. No. Please. I said, take it. Mother, a man slapped me. Fail, Billy. You struck out blindly again. All you ever do to get out of a difficulty, hit someone you love. Failure. Where is he? Oh, it's Julie. Oh, help me. I don't want Julie to see me. Then she won't. Julie. Julie. Longing to tell you, but afraid I'm shy. too late to do anything for my little girl, my Louise. Billy, you should have told her that it makes no difference what her person's parents did or didn't do. She's got to stand on her own two feet. And instead, I, I slapped her. You could have told her, don't be afraid of people not liking you. Just you try liking them. Just keep your faith and courage. And you'll come out all right. Like the song you used to sing when you were in school. You remember it, don't you? When you walked through a storm. Yes. Yes, I remember it. When you walk through a storm, keep your chin up high. Don't be afraid of the dark. At the The golden sky and the sweet silver song of alarm. Walk on to the wind, walk on to the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on. Get up, Mother. Honest, there was a strange man here, and he hit me hard. I, I heard the sound of it, but it didn't hurt, Mother. It was just as if he kissed me. Billy. But is it possible, Mother, for someone to hit you hard like that? 
real loud and hard and, and not hurt you at all? It is possible, dear, for someone to hit you, hit you hard and not hurt at all. Is this what he gave you? Yes. He said, he said it was a star. Take it, dear. Keep it forever. Look. She took it. She took the star. Julie knew I was here. Thanks to Patricia Morrison and our fine supporting cast, Katie Lee, Barbara Whiting, Ted Osborne, and Marvin Miller. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. America produces more steel than any other country in the world, and the railroads are vital to this record production. For it is the railroads that bring the bulk of raw materials to the mill, then take steel on to thousands of manufacturers, and finally deliver finished products to where they are needed in our daily life and our national defense. To meet growing transportation demands, the railroads are enlarging and improving every part of their plant. A vital part of that program is obtaining enough steel to build and repair freight cars and locomotives. The use of steel in this way is the most effective way to increase the nation's transportation capacity. All aboard! Well, folks, it looks as though we're ready to pull out and so until next week, when Miss Evelyn Case will be our guest star in The Student Prince, this is Gordon McRae saying, so long. A musical play by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II was adapted for the Railroad Hour by Gene Holloway. Gordon McRae can be seen starring in the Warner Brothers production, The West Point Story. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroad. And now, keep tuned to your Monday night of music on NBC. Nadine Connor graces the voice of Firestone on NBC. This is the final show of the year. Be back with us in February for the old-time radio daytime shows, with new shows and a new format. Have a good and safe holiday season, 
and we hope you will tune in soon. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Thank you.